high desert in the great American Southwest. I bid you all good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be across the entire world. In the greatest part of it right now, our part, it's Halloween. Welcome to Ghost to Ghost 2001. <laughs> this is a night when all we do is tell ghost stories, nothing else. I know there's a world of things going on out there, but we don't do it on this night. We do one thing only, and we do it very well. We tell ghost stories, real ghost stories, and there's no lack of them ever. Now, I want to qualify this by saying right up front, no lame ghost stories, only the scariest uh, most hair-raising ghost stories that a person could ever relate. That's all we're taking. So if yours doesn't meet up with those qualifications, sit back and listen, because there'll be plenty that will. So those are the rules. Those are the only rules. Your ghost story had better be good. And you should be a good uh, storyteller, too. So that's it. That's all we're doing tonight. I'd like to welcome KLYQ in Hamilton, Montana, 1240 on the dial in Hamilton, Montana. Glad to have you on board the network. That's just great as we continue to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. This is an unusual ghost to ghost tonight. It is an unusual Halloween. It is the first Halloween full moon since the year 1955, and it is the only one uh, until 19 Halloweens more pass. I believe it is a blue moon, blue or not. It's the only full one since 55, and the only full one for 19 more years. So that's the agenda tonight. I I never have had any doubt that ghosts are real. I know they're real after having uh, presided over this program for the last, I don't know how many years, decade plus many now. I know they're real. I guess the question in my mind about ghosts became somewhat moot probably about four or five years ago. After doing so many of these and after observing things I have observed... I just came to the conclusion that uh, it obviously is real. There really are ghosts, which means that there is survival of physical death. Anyway, nothing but the prime grade A ghost stories are allowed tonight. So before you dial, consider, do you have, are you in possession of, is the best ghost story of all time emblazoned in your mind? If it is, dial. Otherwise, sit back and listen. That's what's coming up. Nothing but ghosts all night long. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Ghost to Ghost AM. Now, one more time, this is your opportunity to phone in the best, scariest ghost story that any of us have ever heard. The scarier, the better. And if it's really, really scary, I'll be really, really happy. Why? Because I'll know that we're having good stories on the air, and I like to be scared like everybody else. You know, doing these shows, really, it, it scares the hell out of you after a while. A lot of times it just plain scares the hell out of you. But there is fun in fear, some types of fear, 
this kind of fear seems to be fun. Well, it's fun in the telling. It's not as much fun in the doing, as you will discover listening throughout the night. So, let us begin. First time caller line, you are on the air. Hi. Art? Yes. Good evening. A a ghoulish good evening to you. And to you as well, sir. Yes. Uh, This story takes place... um, Actually, I'm Rex. I'm from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Hmm. And uh, this story takes place about 10 years ago when I was working as a photo lab assistant in uh, Yosemite National Park, California. Yes, sir. Um, One evening after I had finished uh, talking with my folks, I was uh, walking home along the Merced River. And a very pleasant, very pleasant evening. And... um, Recently, I had been looking into the uh, folklore, the mythology, some of the history of Yosemite Valley, mm-hmm. which had to do with the Miwok Indians and this sort of thing. Now, as I was approaching my uh, cabin, the tent cabins that all of us employees stayed in, right. I, uh, I, I had absolutely nothing in my mind, completely blank. And I believe that contributed to what happened next. As how, I how, how frequently in your life have you noticed that you've had a completely blank mind? That is somewhat unusual in itself. Yes, it, yes, it was. Um, I mean, just all of a sudden you said to yourself, wow, I'm not thinking about a damn thing. Exactly. All right, so anyway, there you were in that state, and what happened? Exactly. Well, I approached my tent cabin. And as I was standing on my door, unlocking, unlocking the lock, uh, I felt there was something very strange inside this, this cabin. It was twilight, it was dusk, there was no sound going on. You just felt something was there, or you felt something? I felt something. In, uh, describe it. Sort of like an, I, I could almost feel, I feel an aura radiating from inside it, and it wasn't a very pleasant. Uh, okay. So I opened the door, and pitch blackness was inside this cabin. It was like I was looking into dark matter. Darker than black. Darker than black. Yeah. And this dark matter turned and looked at me. Looked at you? Looked at me. Well, to perceive that, you must have seen, or did you just feel that? I mean, how did you know it was looking at you? You know how uh, some people have this third eye, this kind of a psychic sense kind of thing? Mm Mm-hmm. I felt like this thing turned and looked into my soul, Mm -hmm. basically. Yes, and was it as empty as your head? Uh, almost. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't But what happened after after I felt this thing was looking at me? Yes. I felt it rush at me, like a hurricane kind oh. of force. It's like that poltergeist swoosh. You oh know? lordy, yes. And I remember this thing hit me, and I completely blanked out. I remember being in this white light, but all I could hear was this ghastly scream. So it was just good night for you, huh? Well, actually, this white light hit me, and then about a fraction of a second later, I remember landing on my back, and I looked back up at my cabin, and I was 15 feet away from the door. My, I don't know how my, my, I got there. My, my, my. Had you had not been drinking, uh, nor... I just got off of work. Just finished no. talking with my folks, and I walked Sober on. as can be. Exactly. What do you think happened to you? Uh... I had the feeling that it was had something to do with the tragedy of the Indian situation in Yosemite Valley. I don't know. I can't really explain it too much. Maybe. I'm going to offer an alternative theory that you may not like. 
uh, obviously what I picked up on in your story was that you were thinking about absolutely nothing, which is rare. I mean, have you ever caught yourself out there, folks? Wow, I'm not thinking about anything. I wonder if I'm okay. It's not something you do every day. So anyway, his mind was blank. His words. When your mind is blank, you are in an interesting, susceptible moment. Really. If the neurons aren't particularly firing in any direction, and it happens, you know, it does happen, then you are very susceptible. So what may have happened to him may have happened at that exact moment because he was so vulnerable. Interesting. Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning, Art Bell. How are you? I'm okay, sir. Where are you? I'm. This is Anthony in Macon, Georgia. All right. And uh, I'd like to relay this ghost story to you before I transform into a canis lupus. <laughs> so uh, this story... Uh, do you do that from time to time? Uh, occasionally. Occasionally I do. Especially on nights like this. Yeah, but um, about 1975, I was approximately six years old. I uh, was visiting my grandmother here in Macon, Georgia, and this was shortly after my grandfather had passed away. He was an avid golfer, and he had a heart attack on the golf course. Appropriate. Yes, dying dying while he was doing what he does best. and uh, Or liked best, or loved. Exactly. That's the way exactly. to go. Sure. And um, we were visiting my grandparents' house, and now my grandmother was just residing there, and uh, this house had an added-on room that my grandfather had built, designed and built. He was a he was an architectural student from uh, Georgia Tech, right. graduated from Georgia Tech. And uh, this room he had built and designed. And when we had visited, we I would stay in that room and uh, the extra bedroom in there. Sure. And one night I was in there, fell asleep. I wake up out of nowhere. I don't know what woke me up. I just woke up. And at the foot of the bed was a glowing figure, uh, white glowing figure, okay. just staring at me. Now there was no now, no sort you, of facial expression. That's what was I was no, going to ask, yeah, right? There was no face, okay. no facial expression, but it was facing me because it just you know seemed to be staring at me, sort of an outstretched sort of arms, but you didn't see any arms. It was sort of just maybe sort of a flowing sort of. Uh, that would be, be enough for me. Uh, you, would, right. you would know it was a spirit. Exactly, exactly. So, like any uh, five, six-year-old young man would do, I ducked under the sheets. I said, whoa, wait a minute. You know, that would have been my move, too, right. under, the, under the covers. Exactly, because you're always safe there. Yeah. But then I you know, took another peek, and on that peak, it was still there. Oh, that's bad, because usually when you come out from under the covers, it's gone. No, it wasn't. <laughs> okay. It was gone. It was still there, and then I went under the covers again, and I did not return up from the covers, and I fell back asleep. But, <laughs> but get this. Yes. Now, this is the, the kicker. When I woke up the next morning... Yes, sir. ...on the ground near the foot of the bed was a golf ball. 
So your granddad uh, had been there and left a sign for you, a golf ball. I would either that or somebody was playing a elaborate hoax on me. But uh, as I, you know, I, I still have his, I still have his golf clubs, and I have some of his golf balls. So maybe they just happened to be in that room, and I just didn't notice them when I went to bed. But it was an eerie, eerie thing. Uh, I hear you. All right, thank you. Yes, the covers. The covers were always refuge from. Uh, for me, it was things in the closet. To this very day, I cannot abide an open closet while I sleep. I will not go to sleep with an open closet. Because a little six-year-old Art was absolutely certain there was something in his closet. Certain. And I was manic about having the closet closed. And uh, how's this for an admission? I still am. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, Art. How are you doing? I'm okay, sir. Where are you? Uh, my name is John. I'm calling from Colorado Springs, Colorado. All right, John. Got kind of an unusual story. Um, just to give you a little bit of background, I grew up in a small town in Minnesota. Yes. Um, grew up with a pretty good knowledge of the spirit world or um, demons or ghosts or what have you, that that stuff existed. I believe that it, it existed. Sure. always felt like there was something in my room when I was growing up. Um, used to have strange dreams, sometimes... Um, I would have dreams where I felt like I was being spiritually attacked, where when I woke up I couldn't speak, um, or when I'd go to sleep. It seemed like the, the moments between being awake and going to sleep would be a lot of, a lot of fear. Um, there is a lot of fear. Uh, that's when people have OBEs. That's when they have things that freeze them in place. I mean, paralyze them completely. That's when... I think you're susceptible to best seeing across the veil anyway. Yes, I agree. That's a good way of putting it. I think that's a time when yeah. you're sort of wide open to anything that's looking for you. Absolutely. And like I said, I, I, I grew up with this, and um, I, I think people are real resilient because I think you can grow up around this sort of stuff. And even as I got older, things would happen or something would drop in my room, and I'd come up with an explanation of how it could have happened. Um, but every, everything will culminate what I'm about to tell you. But anyway, I, I joined the Army in 1989, summer of 89, and about eight months before that, um, something really strange happened. Now, what I'll tell you is at the time, my mother and father were separated, and eventually a couple years later, they would get a divorce. Right. At the time that this story happened, my father had not been living with us for probably about four or five months, quite a while. Right. Uh, I'm just sitting in the living room one night watching TV, uh, my brother was it was in his room, which is on the other side of the living room wall. Yes. And uh, I saw my father walk through our house. Um, as a solid, as a I mean, solid you know, being. Your, your real dad. I mean, he was... absolutely. And and people, when I tell this story, people always say, "Well, what year did your father die?" He didn't die. He's still alive today. Gotcha. So it's kind of strange. Well, anyway, he walked um, through the hallway, and there was a door open on one corner of the living room, and that's where I saw him. And I was so convinced that it was him. And it was about 9.30 at night. You know, what would he be doing coming home at 9.30 at night and he hadn't lived there four or five months? Right. You don't think of that right then. Of course not. So I get up and I follow him into our, my parents' bedroom. And when I had been been in there for, I guess, about 10 seconds or something, I, I felt a, a very real presence, the same kind of thing that I felt growing up, 
going to sleep in my room, that same kind of feeling that very hard to describe, but, you know, I, no, know, I, I know... I know the feeling. No need to describe it. Right. There's something else in the room that's a sentient being of some type. Absolutely. And that's when I, you know, kind of got scared and left the room, and then I, met, I walked down the hallway, and I met my brother in his room, and he said, did Dad just walk by? And I said, yes, he did. What? Really? Absolutely. Now, <laughs> the really strange part about it is uh, my father was wearing a particular sweatshirt that I remember him wearing a lot when I grew up. He used to wear it when he'd work on cars in the garage. Yes. So I still remember to this day he had this purple sweatshirt on and a pair of blue jeans, and he wasn't wearing shoes. He was walking in a pair of socks, and he was kind of walking sort of forward on his toes. That's the way he used to walk through the house. And you're telling me that your dad was not dead. Your oh, dad, absolutely your not. Your dad was still alive, right? Right. I mean, uh... That's really fascinating, and it's about the second or third story of its kind that I've ever heard. But I have heard a couple of others, sir. Well, and that's kind of what I'm wondering, and I hope maybe you or somebody could shed some light on this, because I've heard of something called a doppelganger. Oh, there's, uh, there's a million different explanations for it. Thank you very much. A million different explanations, but one possible explanation is that all living things, present and past, have a spirit that can leave the body. Uh, this has been a particular point of interest, actually, for me for some time. Uh, ghosts of the living. What does that mean? If there are really ghosts of the living, as there are, are certainly of the dead, then it says something fairly profound, I think, about the nature of spirit itself, the, the nature of the soul itself, doesn't it? It's an area that I would like to see some ghost investigators really bore in on. Uh, they tend not to do it, I think, because to them a ghost has to be dead, uh, you know, out of the old living body to be a ghost. Well, I have a different vision of all of this, and it includes the possibility that every living and passed on soul uh, has a nature of spirit that we don't fully understand yet, but the, the kind of call we just had, the kind of report we just got, begins to take us down a path of understanding that may uh, buck up against some of the uh, the mainstream thinking, if you can call uh, ghosts and stories about ghosts mainstream at all ever. Probably not. I'm Art Bell, and this is Ghost to Ghost AM. Take a ride? Call Art Bell from west of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies, 1-800-825-5033. First-time callers may reach Art at 1-775-727-1222. The wild card line is open at 1-775-727-1295. And to call Art on the toll-free international line, call your AT&T operator and have them dial 800-893-0900. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell from the Kingdom of Nine. A full moon, a blue moon, decorates our Halloween Ghost to Ghost program 2001. I'm Art Bell. In the nighttime, 
Ah, good evening, everybody. Ghost to Ghost continues right now with all of you. You'll convince yourselves before the evening's over. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Hello. Hello. Yes, Art, I have a... West of the Rockies, call toll-free 1-800-618-8255. Okay, I've got to bleep out your last name. You're not allowed to give your last name. So you made me hit the button. Your, your first name is Burke, and you're in Washington, right? That's right. Okay, Burke, what's up? Well, back in 1991, I was a student at the International Summer School in Oslo, Norway. Uh-huh. I was one of 60 students and two professors who took the long weekend trip from Oslo to Bergen and back. Yes, sir. And on the last leg of our trip, we stopped in a place called Glofarverka. That means the blue color works. It refers to the small glass blowing factory there. Yes. Well, we went into this Viking-style longhouse with picnic tables and sat down to eat dinner. Here we were in Norway, and what do you think they served us? Chili. Uh, reindeer? No, chili. Chili? Yes. Chili. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. The guy sitting across from me was from Texas. His name is Andrew. I bet he could believe it. Oh, yeah. He said something like, oh, boy, chili. They knew I was coming. Uh-huh. Well, I didn't like chili. I just ate bread. It's a nice dinner roll for us. After we finished eating, Andrew picked up this sugar cube from a little bowl. He said, you see this? I'm going to feed it to that goat out there. Goat? Goat, yes. There was a little little barnyard with a little barn. I think it was a petting zoo. Oh, yes. All right. Well, anyway... I said to Andrew, you can't do that. It says on the sign out there in Norwegian, English, and German, please don't feed the animals. Right. He said, oh, yeah? Watch me. I've known kids just like your brother. What? I've known kids just like your brother. No, I, he's not my brother. Oh, like this guy, anyway. Yes, Andrew. Andrew. Yes, well, we walked outside. Andrew stepped over the two-rail fence. He walked around the corner of the little barn. Then he came running back, climbed back over the fence, and said to me, That goat was evil. It wanted to kill me. He looked around, and he said, Hey, look at that mine over there. Let's explore it. And I said, You got lost in that castle in Bergen. You have a bad sense of direction. You're going to have to get to the point of the story. Yes. We walked into this mine. He looked to the left, and he said, Hi, how are you? Yeah! There's a human head in there. A human head. A human head. I looked, and there was. A human head. Yes, it had purple skin, no eyes, sunken cheeks, and brown, disheveled hair. When I saw that, I made a noise like, and I turned away. When I looked back, it was gone. The human head was gone. It was gone, yes. All right, uh, I appreciate your call. Human head story. Purple skin, huh? Well, I haven't seen one of those. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, Art. Yes. Yes, sir. I'm a retired police officer from the Midwest. Yes, sir. Uh, this happened about 15 years ago. This has bothered me ever since I went on this call. It was a domestic disturbance, non, or it was a dis disturbance, non domestic, um, when I arrived. A lady told me that there was some loud thumping going on in her condominium. She lived on the bottom floor of a two-story condominium complex. Right. Um, and she walked me to the center, and 
Sure enough, here sound like somebody hitting the floor with a sledgehammer. Hitting the hitting the floor. Yes. And, and she lived on the bottom floor. She lived on the bottom floor, and okay. it just it was just unbelievably loud. I I said, well, we'll need to get the manager and go upstairs and see what's going on. She says, well, nobody lives there. I said, all right, well, we'll still need to get the manager and see what the problem is. I ruled out water pipes because no water run through that area. Sure. Um, the manager we finally got a hold of. This is 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh, we went inside, and, and uh, she said, what is the problem up here? I don't understand this. And I said, well, the loud thumping. And she said, well, no one's lived in here for about six weeks. This is where Colonel Wilson died. Oh. And I, Yeah. And I said, uh, I had stepped it off from the front of her com, her condominium to the point of the noise right above, right above us. So you were standing about where it would have come from. Right. And, uh, I also stepped it off from the empty com, or condominium to the point where the noise would have come from. Yes. Sir. And she put her, and the manager put her hands on either side of her face and said, oh my God. That's exactly where his head was laying when we got him, when we found him. Another human head story. Oh, my God. No, I mean, he had died of a heart attack. But no, he I understand. Laying, laying right there. Yep. Um, and anyway, it was just really strange how everything coordinated and was exactly in, in a line right where he was lying. Well, it's, un, it, it's unusual, you know, that uh, a police officer would actually get to observe all of this. Usually it's all over by the time you're there on this kind of I, story. I wrote it. I wrote it up. Uh, oh, you did? I knew, uh, of course, I, I knew I'd be ridiculed for it also, but I wasn't. And uh, I never heard a thing about it. But I huh. I said I heard the noise. It was loud, and it, it was uh, very loud. It sounded like something 10 or 12 pounds being dropped right on the floor. And uh, Well, let me ask you this. I, I have had endless emails from law officers all over the country about these kinds of things. Inevitably, of course, they don't want their names used. But a disproportionate number of people in law enforcement seem, you know, to run into this now, you know, or something like it. Uh, well, really we're, really we're, a, lot, a lot of you. We're normally the ones called on problems. That's why, that's why we hear about it more, I'm sure. Makes sense. But, as far, but uh, as actually being there, like you said, being there when it's happening was... Very strange, uh, and that—that that, I've been retired a couple of years now, but that—that that, has bothered me ever since that call. And evidently, this lady had moved not too long after that because the thumping just continued. Mm -hmm. uh, now it hit about four times and stopped. And she says this will do per periodically um, throughout the night. I'd move too. I would have moved too. <laughs> Thank you so much. You better take care. Um, that suggests a spirit behind, you know, a spirit left behind. And that brings up all kinds of questions about whether we're really conscious on the other side, and uh, apparently we are. I think from everything I've heard, from all the investigations I've done into ghost phenomena, I would have to say I think we're probably conscious on the other side, although it, it seems fairly clear that a lot, uh, an awful lot of the dead don't know they're dead. They simply don't know they have died. And that's interesting because you would think any attempted interaction of a consciousness on the other side would immediately notice, hey, something's wrong here. I'm passing through walls. People aren't hearing me. Something. You know, I'm dead. Or maybe it's not that easy. Uh, Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Hello. 
Hello, sir. How are you doing tonight? All right. This is uh, Dean calling from uh, Tampa, Florida. Yes, sir. And one thing I would like to say is I agree with you. I think uh, we actually exist on many different levels, in fact, and even as in life and as we pass to death, I think in a sense, I think a lot of us in our sense of awareness, we tend to almost tune into that. I think we each get glimpses of it, but yet maybe not the full picture. And maybe that's intended. I think so, sir. Uh, I would like to uh, actually uh, give you just a moment of clarity here. After I'd actually met a young girl named Clarity in 1985, I had a couple after effects, actually. And I think there's a positive side to actual spirits that you might actually encounter. And I think, in a sense, it might actually be a protection in a sense. And I've seen this in children and things like that. And I've heard stories about that. I had an experience. I was driving to uh, Irving, Texas, in fact, on a major highway coming out of uh, Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. And I just bought a new car. I'm driving down. It's about early 1986. As I'm just coming onto the highway, this rather large 1970 Cadillac, one of those old ones, about nine feet long, sir. Sure. Yeah, it kind of takes one of those. Uh, he decides he wants to take a right and go across three different lanes. Suddenly, he just cuts right in front of me, and I start doing 360s on the highway. And this is right at rush hour. We're talking three-way highway, you know, three-lane highway. Right. As I'm doing 360s, sir, I'm starting to come up over on two wheels, and I start noticing, like, almost literally... And, it, and I, as I look back on it, almost an angelic whirlwind of just, and I couldn't, it wasn't like people, but it was almost like a sense of protection because I can almost remember how quiet it was as I'm doing these 360s, going up on two wheels and watching people drive around me, yet not being touched. And the most amazing thing is after I crossed four lanes of traffic, I suddenly realized I'm going backwards. I look up, and in my rearview mirror, sir, somebody's sitting in my back seat. Holy sir. Well, number one, I was by myself. As I looked back in front, I noticed all traffic is stopped, and I'm slamming on my brakes. I look up back again in the midsection, the actual um, the uh, barrier between the actual two uh, highways. Right. I'm coming upon that, and I'm I'm doing about 40 backwards. As I'm looking up in the rearview mirror, well, whoever was sitting in my back seat, well, they're gone now. So I'm that, the one I'm appreciative of that because I didn't want to have to deal with that. But secondly, I'm watching the barrier and me coming up doing about 40. I stop within about three feet of it. Not a scratch on the car, nothing. I've completely stopped rush hour traffic in the middle of Dallas-Fort Worth. Everybody's literally walking out of their car, looking at me like I've just filmed some stunt movie. And you were, uh, no doubt, convinced you'd been saved by some sort of angelic presence. Exactly, sir. And all, right, all right. All right. Uh, and to make it... Yes, sir. To make it very quickly and short, uh, two weeks later, I'm coming around a little less turn in Irving, Texas. Suddenly, it's a rainy thing. All of a sudden, I start losing the grip of the car. I go, I'm just starting to go over a cliff. Suddenly, I stop, sir. I got out of the car. I look around. There's handprints in the front of my car as the rain's dropping like that. You can literally see if somebody tried to stop my car. There's, there are people out there protecting us. Shades of uh, San Antonio, Texas. All right, well, that is interesting. Have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered, when you see an accident that's so horrible, you know, a car is totaled, it's mushed, there's nothing, and somehow somebody came through it completely unscathed. It occurs. These things happen. And a lot of times you get stories like the one that man just told. And no matter what uh, chaos was around him at the, the moment, the instant uh, all of this occurred, and it does occur, of course, basically in an instant, an accident like that, he kind of gave it to us in slow motion. It may well be that, and, and who knows why, uh, but there may be some protection, and, and of course everybody would say, well, then why doesn't everybody get protected? I don't know. They just don't. But something that through it all won't let you get touched, no matter the mayhem all around you. You hear about these miracles, uh, seeming miracles, all the time. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. 
Hello, Art. How are you this evening? Okay. All right. Well, this uh, was about uh, the middle of last July. Where Where are you, sir? Uh, this is Dave and Christopher. Dave? Yes. Okay, Dave. All right. And we were up uh, camping in White Pines up at the northern end of Illinois. Right. And we had just finished a late dinner, and we were sitting around a roaring campfire, starting to get cool out. And we decided to do what most people do around a campfire, see if we could drum up a few ghost stories. Okay. So we're sitting around, and everybody's trying to think, and all of a sudden there's a rustling behind behind us in the, in the dark, yeah. you know, in the trees and such. And we look over, and out comes this little black cat. Yes. And you know how some cats are very socialized. They come by, and they rub up against you. Okay, well, this little thing came and got up in between the people and the fire and started as she walked by she'd give you the little tail hug like right know? oh and, yes yes yeah you know so she's walking around and, and people are just watching her walk and touch and walk and hug and she gets around to these two girls that are just about the other side of the fire from me and as she does she stops for a moment and the girl who absolutely loves cats reaches over and starts to give her a scritch on the back right and the tail goes up, and all of a sudden the girl darts back, screaming, turned completely white, and the girlfriend next to her does the same thing. As it turned out, when she had reached over to scritch the cat, she had actually gone through the cat. Her hand went through. Her hand went through the cat. Through the cat. After this cat had walked around half the people at the campfire, touching and hugging as she walked by, rubbing their leg, and everybody swears up and down, they felt the cat. Yes. Felt the fur. Yes. And everybody starts looking around for the cat, and the cat's gone. <laughs> All right? And there's nothing but, like, a, a wall of thicket and leaves uh, back where the cat must have gone. Somebody picks up one of these Q-beams, goes back in the direction of where we thought the cat had gone, and there's nothing there. Uh-huh. That's fascinating. So Puts her hand right through the cat, huh? Puts her hand <laughs> in, almost almost right through the cat. As she starts to scratch it, it's like it just started to... no. I understand. Turn that, to that, gas, that would you know? produce, it would produce a scream, all right. Yes, uh, very, very interesting. Thank you. Now, of course, that suggests that we ponder the possibility of uh, animals uh, also being ghosts, the spirit of animals surviving physical death and appearing to us. Or does it suggest the possibility of something that transforms itself into another state? I don't know. You decide. West of the Rockies, uh, you are on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Where are you? I am in Oregon, Elmira. All right. Good. Well, My first, name is Anisha. And your first name is? Anisha. Anisha. That's a good name. Thank you. Yes, I have a story. It was from my grandmother. Sure. Um, her father was dying. He was in the hospital. And one day she came home. She was doing the dishes. And then all of a sudden, she could not breathe. Um, so she had to go outside, and there was this intense light. Huh. And she still couldn't breathe. Um, later, after about mm, 15 minutes, I do believe, right. um, finally she could breathe, and she felt a sense of relief. Well, during a 15-minute period, she had to catch a breath or two. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so she was more or less fine after about that period. Yeah. And then her mother 
my great-grandmother. And the minister came and told her that her father had died. And so you think it was at that uh, that period of time that she could not breathe that the death was occurring? Yes, I do believe so, and that's what she believes also. And just a couple weeks ago, my great-grandmother is ailing, and she was talking with somebody, and the only thing I really understood was Wally, which was my great-grandfather. So I do believe that he is trying to contact her and help her through. Okay, well, consider this. It seems like young children and old people, particularly those who are close to death or near death, begin to see through the veil, begin to see the other side more readily. Now, people who work in uh, you know, homes for the elderly and things like that mm-hmm. can tell you stories about this all day long. Now, of course, they sometimes put it off to a feeble mind close to death, but uh, most of them don't. And when you, when you really pin them down, uh, they believe that these people are being visited by dead relatives and that uh, some are coming by trying to ease the transition. Exactly what you said. Yep. All right. That, I guess that's it then. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Very interesting stuff. Uh, but the youngest and the oldest seem to have the best contact with uh, the other side of the veil and can even perhaps readily communicate. It seems to go away. You know, as the busyness of life and the necessity of living in this world we're in today, and it's no easy world, as we all well know today, you know, that takes up all your attention. It closes the opportunity to get through the veil because you simply don't have time for it. But clear your mind like that young man earlier. Or let your mind be young and not yet uh, trained not to see these things. Or let your mind be old, in which case it may well be preparing to go on to uh, the next world. And as you get toward the very end, if you're lucky enough to live that long and don't go by a truck, you know, or some other violent method and you can feel your death coming, then slowly you are indoctrinated from the other side. That would seem to be the case, and that would seem to be uh, what that story was all about. All right, only the best, only the scariest ghost stories need apply. Everybody else can sit at home and listen. This is Ghost to Ghost 2001. I'm Art Bell. Only the very best stories, folks. Otherwise, just sit there and listen to your radio. Art Bell in the Kingdom of Nye from west of the Rockies, dial 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies, 1-800-825-5033. First-time callers may reach Art at 1-775-727-1222 or use the wild card line at 1-775-727-1295. Good morning. Ghost stories running with the night. This night, Halloween 2001, I'm Art Bell. Only if you have the scariest ghost stories should you call. Because that's all we're accepting. Stand your hair up on the back of the neck kind of ghost stories. In addition to that, I would like to announce we have 
two new pages of ghost photographs. And if you would like to give it up this Halloween, I mean that uh, a ghost photograph you've been hanging up, uh, hanging on, uh, on to all these years. Why, I've got a way for you to uh, finally release it on the world. Send it to my webmaster. That would be webmaster at artbell.com, and we'll get it posted. We are accepting ghost stories as of right now on the web. Send it to webmaster at artbell.com. And like the stories, only the very best photographs get posted. So go to your computers and let's see what we get. And we indeed run back into the night. On the first time caller line, you are on the air. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm okay. Uh, what is your first name and where are you? Hi, my name's Melanie and I live in Atlanta, Georgia. Melanie, okay, very good, welcome. Thank you. Um, well, let me get started here. Um, uh, I had an extraordinary evening the night that you had a guest, Dr. Evelyn Paglini. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, it is indeed. Okay, that night, I live on the East Coast and I went to bed very late. Your show runs very late here. Yes, it and does. I, yes, I went to bed between 4.30 and 5 o'clock uh, that night or that morning. And I was very tired. I immediately went to bed. Mm-hmm. And um, I was, my consciousness was alerted. Uh, there were, there's a term, there is something you call shadow people on your website. I've never heard that term before, but I call, I've always called them angels. I've had this, uh, had this happen to me before. And what you call shadow people were running across my bed into my bathroom, which was lit up. It wasn't bright. Why would you presume they're angels if they're dark? Uh, now, the shadow people, as represented on my website, uh, are varying forms, but they're all dark. Were these things that you saw dark? Yes, they were, but I don't get into dark. I don't get into the dark part of it. Gotcha. Okay. So you, you thought of them as angels? Yes. And they'd, they'd run across you into the bathroom? In front of my bed, they were running in front of my bed into the into my bathroom. I live in a very small apartment, and let me just mention that I do live on my own. I'm just, I'm a single uh, female. Okay, so I was alerted. Um, my, my apartment wasn't bright. It was maybe just, maybe they all have little teeny weeny pea sized bladders. Pardon me. Maybe they all have teeny weeny pea sized bladders. <laughs> well, I don't think that's what they were doing. But yet. they were running. They were headed to your bathroom, right? Yes, they were. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's what they were doing. I just okay. think that they, they like to come down and be with me because I've had this happen to uh-huh. me before. Yes. Okay. So, um, I was alerted. My consciousness was alerted, but I was still in a sound sleep, and I wanted to wake up. I was frightened because I really thought there was a human being in my apartment, okay, a being that I live on my own. Um, I could not wake up, and... Um, they kept on running, and, you know, they were having a party in my apartment. Huh. And eventually, like I said, I went to bed between 4.30 and 5 that morning. I eventually woke up. Um, it was very hard for me to wake up. They did not want me to wake up. But eventually I woke up. I went and got a kitchen knife out of my kitchen, and I put it on my nightstand. Went back to bed, woke up the following afternoon between 12 and 12.30. So I you mean you would have sliced up one of these little bundles of joy? Uh, well... I wouldn't have sliced them up. If there was a human being, I would have sliced, sliced. the human being I up. I see. All right. Okay? Yes. 
uh, it was so real, I actually thought that there could be an intruder in my apartment. Uh-huh. Uh, that's how real I've got, I've, I've got the feeling, right. Understand. Okay. So I... I don't, I don't use an alarm clock. I'm very regular. I wake up between 12 and 12.30 every afternoon. I work in the evenings. Mm-hmm. As soon as I wake up, I look at my uh, clock on my nightstand to see how much longer I can sleep before it, it becomes 12.30. I do it all the time. Okay. So I get up, and it's 12.30 the following day. I go to my kitchen to make uh, some coffee, and I notice my clock radio in my kitchen is blinking. Okay, so the power went out. Right. I'm waiting for my coffee to brew. I get my coffee. I uh, go back into my room where my computer is because that's what I do in the morning is I have my coffee and I watch and I play on my computer. Yeah. And I notice the clock radio next to my computer is blinking. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, remember, I woke up and I, the clock on my nightstand was not blinking. Yeah, you're right. So... Uh, let me get a little... Hold on. Okay. So, I get on my computer... It is on safe mode. Safe mode. Safe mode. For the Yunnan computer people, that means that it, it may have uh, lost power and tried to reboot and reboots in safe mode. Exactly. Okay. Okay. It usually reboots. It's very rare that it goes on safe mode. I It'll understand. It'll just reboot itself. Yep, I understand. Okay. And the day on my computer... Uh, the day Dr. Evelyn Paglini was on your show was, I believe, a Thursday. Uh-huh. Okay, so that Friday, the day on my computer was changed to Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. And it has, what started it all, Mr. Bell, was the night that you did your, experience, your, your experiment with Rush Limbaugh. Uh-huh. I haven't focused or meditated on something like that. And I'd say a good three years. Well, you know what that does, yeah. It opens the door. You've got that right. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate the story. Yes, well, the combination of uh, your participation in the experiment and listening to Evelyn Paglini and being in the state that you were in without getting a lot of sleep really had you totally open to this sort of thing. Now, bear in mind, everybody, that uh, generally when there is a ghost scene, uh, if you are able to record it, you will record a significant electromagnetic phenomena associated with an appearance or an occurrence. And a sufficiently large electromagnetic phenomena would affect the, uh, uh, the electrical circuits that surround you. Bear in mind, uh, the, you know, the, the, the way it happened. Uh, first uh, one room, and then another room, then back to the other room. Pretty strange. Wild card line, you're on the air. Good morning, Art. Happy Halloween. And the uh, same to you, sir. Uh, this is Paul, let's say, from Central Illinois. Okay. Um, I'm a sheriff's deputy. and Oh, you are? Yes, until okay. a few weeks ago, I worked the midnight shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and I bought our first house uh, last August. It's a nice, like a 70-year-old house, still in good shape and things like that. Uh, well, one night, about September 8th or so, mm-hmm. I come home from work, and now my wife, she's a paramedic. She works 24-hour shifts, and on that night she was working, so there shouldn't have been anybody would, home. That would be back in what we call September 8th, back in the normal times. Huh? Yes. The last of the normal times. Right. That's what makes it easy to remember. Sure. 
my wife, she was working that night, so her car was gone. There shouldn't have been anybody home. I came home for a dinner break about 3 o'clock in the morning or so, and I walked in the door, came in the house through the kitchen. As I come in the kitchen, I see the silhouette of a person standing there by the kitchen sink. And remember, and I was on duty, of course, the first thing I did, seeing a strange person in my house, was to draw my pistol and point it at this person and tell them to show me their hands. I'm sure. Uh, well, there was a little bit of light coming in through the window uh, from a street light, and this person kind of slowly turned her head and looked at me, and I see it's this little old lady, huh. and there was a, you know, you kind of get that strange feeling, and you start noticing that she was a little bit translucent. Oh, really? So I, I felt kind of silly pointing my pistol at her when I realized what it must be that was going on. So the first thing I could think of to say was, uh, you know, what do you want? And Boy, that's pretty good. You know, a lot, some uh, people in your position might have fired that gun. <laughs> I mean, just out of absolute heart-stopping fright, they might have fired that gun. It probably wouldn't have done a whole lot of good. I think she was already beyond the point that my pistol could have hurt her very much. Good that you could realize that. <laughs> Man. Anyhow, she looked at me, and she just had this, if you can imagine a little old lady who's kind of ornery, and just knows that she's pulling the best trick in the world on somebody. She uh -huh. just had that kind of bemused, old lady, ornery look on her face. And so, like I said, I asked her, what do you want? And she just kind of grinned at me and then <laughs> faded out and disappeared. And we haven't had any, I haven't seen her since then. I mean, she doesn't, uh, you know, move things around in my house or anything. The only thing that ever happens that might be out of the ordinary is every once in a while, you know, if my wife or, and I are in the uh, living room, watching television or something we have a dog and there's been a few times that she goes in the kitchen because that's where her food dish is and she's not the, not the kind of dog that spooks easy she loves people and you know nothing really scares her too much but she'll be in the kitchen and we'll just hear her let out a little yep and then she'll just come running back in the living room sure. and cower at our feet sure and the, whenever she does that i just imagine that a uh, kind of ornery look on that old lady's face and figure she's just playing tricks on my dog and as long as that's all she does, I guess it doesn't really bother me a whole lot. Well, I understand. Nevertheless, uh, what do you think you saw? Ah, uh, well, and I'm sure it was a ghost. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind about that. <laughs> I wasn't dreaming. I wasn't asleep. I'd been at work, you know. I've got you. All right. Uh, thank you so much for the uh, story. Take care. A deputy sheriff. And, of course, seeing is believing. Once you have seen, as that man saw, you will believe. You will never doubt again. You will always know. That, uh, that there is something over on the other side. Whether that's to be your destination or not, you cannot know until your time has come. But there is certainly something there, something, something that can come through. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Yes, sir. Oh, I'm on the air? Yes, yes, yes. Hi, Art. Uh, your name is? Uh, my name is Dave. Dave. Hi, Dave. Hi. I'm uh, from Canal Winchester, Ohio. Okay. Um, I just want to uh, start by saying this um, story began and ended on Halloween night, and it's a it's a pretty scary one, I think. Okay. Um, let me just start by saying I was um, I was in college. Um, I was dorming with a few friends um, off campus at a at an apartment, and about half a mile down the road was a house that I suspected to be haunted. I don't, you know, I've always I've seen ghosts before and things like that, which is a whole different story. But um, I just felt that this house was haunted just from its, the way it looked, things that were going on. Nothing actually was going on there. you never seen anybody. 
Um, just uh, the only thing that ever happened there was that there would be uh, a curtain up in the up in the high window that, on occasion, was drawn slightly. This was an unoccupied or occupied house. Uh, I had asked neighbors and other people if they'd seen anybody live there. They said no. It, it looked like someone had lived there. I mean, I, I always kind of lived near what I would always think of as a haunted house. You you, you know what they look like. We right. all do from having well, this, seen this, the movies. It just yeah, it just seemed haunted. No, you never seen any people. You asked neighbors, they never seen any people. I don't know. You so did you finally anything. decide to investigate? Yes, that's on Halloween night. Inevitably. I convinced some friends, um, actually my girlfriend, who's now I'm getting married to, <laughs> nine years later. She's marrying you? Yes. Nine, this, is, this happened nine years ago. <laughs> well, I um, guess if you could talk her into doing that. Yes. <laughs> anyway, but, proceed. Um, I coaxed uh, her and another couple to, you know, let's go down there. It's Halloween night. Let's see if anything happens. <laughs> so uh, we take a walk. Um, this house sat right on a creek. Pretty large creek, and right across it, uh, right you know, it was on. There was a bridge there, a wood bridge, uh -huh. and uh, I don't know what it was, but nobody was, nobody had the guts to to get, get too close to the house. We just wouldn't do it. It right. seemed ominous. It was Halloween. Right. I had convinced them that it was haunted. So what we decided to do is go across the bridge to the other side of the creek, take a walk behind. We're pretty far away. We'll sit there and kind of. Just check things out, see if anything happens. <laughs> yes. Well, nothing happens. So we're kind of well. What are we gonna do now? Let's let's take a walk down the uh, down the creek a little while. Maybe 150 feet, getting past the house, we notice something across the other side of the house. It looks like there's a shack there. Right. And we're like, wow, look at that! There's a shack back in the woods. So we all start to approach it, and it appears that someone's sitting. Inside the shack, actually in the door opening, sitting on a stool with a shotgun in their hand. This yeah. is on Halloween night at, you know, 12 o'clock at night. Uh, it's midnight. With a and, shotgun. Yeah, it looks like someone's sitting there with a shotgun. Mm -hmm. We, of course, take off. We run. Gotcha. And uh, we catch our breath and we say, you know, I, uh, I don't think, I think we know just we're seeing things, you know. There was nothing there. It's dark out. You know, let's go back. Let's go back and see if that really was a shack there. So we do. We go back, and instead of we still see the shack, it doesn't look like the door's open now. So I decide, well, me and the, the guy, a uh, friend of the girl, stay behind, and we decide to venture and see what's going on. The closer we get to the shack, it it uh, it just vanishes. The shack vanishes. It. The closer we get, it just starts to mist out. It just is gone. There's nothing there. I mean, now we're there where it would be, and we're just standing in the middle of the woods. Holy mackerel. The only this, the only thing, Yes. exactly at that same moment that we realize the shack isn't there, there's a graveyard of cars. And when I say a graveyard of cars, it's almost, it was like a, well, let me just tell you that the, the cars that were there, there had to be, I don't know, we didn't count them, but there was 30 to 50 Corvairs. 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 A lot of Corvairs. Considered to be the most deadliest cars ever. <laughs> a lot of Corvairs died. They weren't. They weren't like uh, crashed or anything. They just were. So, they were just there. You know. They were like uh, 
weathered. You know what I mean? Yes, of they course. They were weathered. Yes. It looked like vandals that maybe busted out windows, things like that. This is too weird. And you're telling me this, this graveyard of cars is, is was all around you, or where was it with reference? We were, we were now. We have, hey, come over, see this. Everybody, we were all there now. You know, there's, there's four of us, well, including me, four. and we're standing on top of now cars, Corvairs. They're all Corvairs. Uh huh. They're not. They're not damaged at all, other than just to- look like they had been there for 50 years or however long they were made. You know? Right, right. Um, there was just two different cars there, though, and they weren't like that. They were totaled, what you could say was fatal crashes. They were totaled, and I remember what they were because we were like, it was a Toyota love truck. Do you remember those? Yes, I do. It was a Toyota love truck and a, some kind of Subaru, and they were crushed to what you would consider to be fatal crashes. Right. Corvairs were fine. They were just there. Um, that freaked us out pretty good, you know. We're like, but nothing really that I would say supernatural happened. This was Halloween night. That happened. The night did kind of seem kind of spooky, but that happens on Halloween. Um, I'd say it's pretty supernatural if a shock and a, it completely disappears and a graveyard of cars appears. Uh, yeah, that's not the end of the story. Art. Okay, go ahead. Um, about nine months later, maybe nine to ten months later, um, it's, it's beginning to be fall. Um, you know, I live in Ohio. It was probably late summer. Right. But it, it was fallish. Yes. Um, I had told lots of people about this story. Nobody ever would go back in the woods to find the cars, but they were there. I mean, I actually, we went back again during the daylight and seen them there. Ah. They were there. They were real. All right. The house still seemed haunted and never seen any people All there. They right, were running short on time. Okay, okay. Um, about nine months later, a friend of mine tells me that he's seen a bunch of Corvairs parked around that house. And I, I, I was like, are you kidding me? You know, you, what are you talking about? He said, man, I just drove by there, you know, an hour ago, and I seen a bunch of Corvairs parked around that house you were talking about. Yes, I, I was. So I decided to grab a friend of mine, and we went out there. And? And the house was totally destroyed. I don't know how to describe it. Okay. We, we, we have no more time. Is we have there, no more time. Is there a punchline here? No, I'm just telling the story. Okay, so it was all gone then. Uh, pretty much. I appreciate the uh, the call, sir. That was paranormal, definitely. Things don't disappear and then become something else. Guys with shotguns in uh, cabins don't disappear. This is Ghost to Ghost AM. In the Kingdom of Nye, from west of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies, 1-800-825-5033. First-time callers may reach Art at 1-775-727-1222. And the Wild Card line is open at 1-775-727-1295. To reach Art on the toll-free international line, call your AT&T operator and have them dial 800-893-0903. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell from the Kingdom of Nye. You know, Crystal Gill's making this song available to you on my website free of charge. Actually, her website, we've got the link on my page. Want a free copy, CD quality? It's there. Midnight in the desert And there's wisdom in the air I've been looking 
First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Art. This is Alan calling. Uh, Art, I've listened to your show a few times, I guess, and I've wondered occasionally which one of the calls were real, which ones weren't. But uh, I don't know. Are you real? Well, I'll tell you a story. First yeah. of all, turn your radio off. I thought it was uh, No, and I can't continue with the call if you don't. So. Okay. I guess it began when I was six years old. I would swear there was something in my closet. I would watch my closet doors, okay? I knew the exact width of uh, that my closet door was open, right. okay? Right. It began this way. Night after night after night, I would watch it. One morning, the closet doors were completely open. I questioned everybody in the house. No one had touched it, okay? This is how it began. Secondly... I had one of these things I learned from your program was a, I guess, an out-of-body experience. Yeah. I was frozen on my bed, okay? I I was tingling all over, and I could not move, and I was scared to death, and I just began praying to Jesus, please, Jesus, please. That's well, a precursor to an out-of-body experience, yeah. Well, I also did the same thing with the with the door to my room. It was the closet door and my door to the room that I would watch, and there would be a crack in the door, and I would watch that crack every ten minutes. I would look at it. Why? I felt like there was something outside there. You mean in, inside the closet? Out, inside the closet and also outside the room, outside the bedroom. Oh, I see. So, once again, one evening, the door, every time I looked at it, it seemed like it would be a quarter inch or a half inch wider. <laughs> and it got to the point where it was about yeah. two inches the three inches wide, and, and one night that was happening, and I couldn't move, and I started to look at the door, and so help me, Jesus Christ, as, as he is my Lord, the door started to have a light green color around the background of it, yes. like the light from behind it, yes. and a mist around it, and I got up out of bed because I, I had been released from this hold that I used to call it, it was just a hold. And as I approached the door, and as my hand reached out to touch the door, praying to God the whole time, the door fell backwards away. Just yeah, yeah. fell backwards away. Right. And I ran back into the bed and just covered up and started praying. Oh, yeah. See, praying I, I, at that point, I'd have a heart attack. I mean, and I ran, no, I ran into my mother's and father's room, and I slept there all night, and they acted as if nothing was wrong whatsoever. No, see, that's my, that's my nightmare. That's really my nightmare. Oh God! If I, if I were to walk up to a, a an open closet door to close it because I I don't allow them to be open, I just don't. And the door fell backward. 
I don't know what I'd do. I'd probably have a heart attack. Absolutely a heart attack. Wildcard line, you're on the air. Hi, Art. Hi. This is Ann from the Springfield, Missouri Ozarks. Hi, Ann. And I have a story for you that, uh, a ghost story that completely changed my life. I, I bet most ghosts, really, it, it, people who have encounters with ghosts have their lives changed, period. Yeah. Uh, but, but go ahead. All right, I'm a Cherokee historic reenactor. We're called Buckskinners. Uh, we have pre-1840 camps. I own an 18-foot teepee where buckskin dresses cook over the campfire and sleep on a buffalo robe. Okay. In 1994, I attended an 11-day rendezvous. That's what we call our camping events. Yes. It was held at Fort Washita, Oklahoma. It was an old Confederate Civil War fort and cemetery. There were about 300 camps, hundreds of people dressed in proper period attire. Sunday was the last day of the rendezvous. Saturday afternoon, uh, we celebrated a lovely wedding of a couple complete with medicine man and ritual ceremonies. Right. That night, a group of the wedding party got really partied hardy, drinking and loud drumming into the wee hours of the morning. Sunday morning, people started tearing down their camps. My husband and I decided we'd stay through Sunday night and break camp Monday morning. Uh, everyone else was gone. The guy next to us uh, stayed in his trapper's tent. He decided to stay along with only two other lodges. The rest of the 300 camps were gone by Sunday afternoon. Okay. It's now 11 o'clock Sunday night. After finishing a wonderful dinner and sitting around the campfire, my husband decided he'd go up on the hill and get our truck and bring it back to the primitive camp. Mm-hmm. While he was gone, all of a sudden I started feeling really scared, and I'm not the kind of woman that gets scared easily. Right. The hair on my neck was literally standing on end, and I didn't know why. He came back with the truck. Um, I still had on my white buckskin dress and was holding a candle, lan- uh, candle lantern, and I walked to the truck to meet him. He was very nervous himself, saying he felt really strange. From a distance, he said, I look like a ghost. Suddenly, these birds started flying above our heads, screaming a high-pitched, shrill sound. These were ravens and owls. This was at midnight sharp, okay? Yes. And this was totally weird. Ravens and owls don't go flying around no, at midnight no. doing this. No, no, no. By now, a spirit of sadness and remorse had overcome me, and I was crying and sobbing. We decided, uh, we started hearing drums all over the area. And these were ghost drums, Art. There wasn't anybody there. Some were uh, nearby and others were far away, and they were Indian drums beating fast like war drums. Right. We got into the teepee. I kept the fire going really strong. We smudged the lodge and said prayers. Yeah. Uh, we could hear we could hear waves. Uh, we could feel and hear waves of ghosts coming by the teepee all night long, Art. Um, well, there's a night of terror for you, and, and oh, the fast, God. the fast drums too, the war drums. Everywhere. That's got to give you the feeling that here it comes, baby. Yeah, uh, we could hear jingles on the women's dresses like they used to wear. Right. Sometimes the drums were right on the other side of our number ten canvas wall. And so you lived through the night. Yes, about five o'clock. I suddenly got really tired. Five o'clock in the morning, I fell asleep with a roaring fire and the candle la- uh, lantern lit. Thirty minutes later, I woke up, Art, to a cold, dark teepee, and the canvas door was gone. I, I shook my husband and said, my God, wake up. He got up and looked outside the lodge, and the teepee door was twisted and leaning up against the wall of the teepee. Now, that doesn't make any sense. There was no wind, and I had a heavy dowel on the bottom of that teepee door. There was no way that that thing 
lifted up, twisted, and was leaning against there. But the really spooky part are no, was the way. fire was out. The fire was out, yeah. And it was completely cold. cold. No, I've got you. Uh, 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 bad night. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, that's a wild one. <laughs> a whole Indian nation arose around them that night. Lucky to live through that. Oh, man. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Hi. Yes. Um, what is your first name? Lynette. Lynette. And where are you? Oklahoma. Okay. Much like the last caller. Right. And um, when I was nine and my little brother was seven, uh-huh. our father owned a service station, which uh, the service station was the front of the building and the, la- the back of the building was the- our home. And um, as a lot of old service stations used to be, we oh, lived on a major up, highway. America from coast to coast used to be dotted with places where the gas station was out front and houses right. in the back. Right, it was on Route 66 across the street from oh, the cemetery no across kidding. the highway. Oh, I traveled that road many times. And it was a highway that um, went had an overpass, and lots of people were killed there. But we were, um, my father also owned a restaurant just, you know, maybe 100 yards away from the service station. Right. And he and my uh, stepmother were there running it one evening, and my brother and I were home by ourselves. It was a rainy night, and when Dad had closed the service station at about uh, 8, um, he was very security conscious. He was a much decorated naval man, very no-nonsense kind of guy, not a paranormal believing individual. Sure. And um, my brother's bedroom was, the door was, his bedroom was the door that you could go through and go into the service station. And we were sitting on his bed playing something with our little cars or something, and we heard the door to the service station open, and we knew that wasn't right. And we heard footsteps, and we both looked up at the same time, and we looked at the door, the partition door, right. and the doorknob was turning, and it scared us to death. And <laughs> I ran to my father's bedroom, and I called the restaurant, and I told Dad that someone was in the service station, and he grabbed his pistol, and he came running. And he came in through the back of the house and came forward and unlocked that door and went through, and there was no one there, but we were behind him, and I looked down, and I saw wet footsteps Uh leading from the front door to that door. Dad, I don't think, looked down. He was just checking the front, the service station door. Yes, of course. And he saw nothing. And this was the same man that when he died in 1973, after a lengthy illness, uh, he had built a house downtown in the little town of 1,000. And his uh, wife survived him by three weeks. And she was the archetypal, archetypal evil stepmother, had no friends and not a friend of ours. She had two girls that took care of her that my dad had hired, and um, she died three weeks later, and we were at the cemetery doing interning her, and um, one of the two girls told me that when she, the day she died, the day they called me, before I got there, when someone dies at home, uh, she had been ill and uh hypochondriac all her life, and so it was not unexpected, and she was older. A police officer just simply is sent, and they verify that someone's died. Sure. No big deal. So the police officer was standing there talking to one of these two girls, and uh, or I guess to both of them, 
And then he turned to, he looked toward the front door, and then he looked to them. He said, who was the man that just walked through? <laughs> and both of the girls looked at each other, and they looked at him, yeah. and they said, well, we didn't see anything. What she told me, or both of the girls told me, is that they had seen a man walking from the front door of the house to the back of the house down the hall to this woman's bedroom since my father's death. Well, there you are. Uh, thank you. I, I, you know, that's typical in, in so many ways. Frequently, when one person, one soulmate dies, the other follows very quickly. And, of course, the other aspect of that, again, a police officer there to actually observe this. A lot of cops see these things. A lot of cops. Why? Because they're around uh, extremely stressful situations. Frequently, they are around or close to death and dying because they are called, right, all the time. They're called. So would it surprise you that they would see so many things? Not really. Not really. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hello. Who, me? You. Oh, okay, me. Okay. Yes. Uh, I've got a few stories, but I'll just tell you one of them. Um, well, best, give me your best shot. What is your first, first name? Heather, and I'm from Susanville. You don't know where that is. It's by Reno. Uh, I'm pretty good. I, yes, I've been to Susanville. Okieville. Yeah, well, anyways. <laughs> yeah, they film Deliverance here. Uh-huh. I'm kidding. Um, well, one of the stories I have is... Some kids were saying, oh, there's a slaughterhouse, and it's supposed to be haunted, you know. I'm like, yeah, right. So I just, um, me and my boyfriend and one of my other friends went there just to get scared. You don't actually expect to see anything, you know, you just want to get scared. And so we went there one time. We went there a few times. One time, it was like we usually go there real late because we don't want the neighbors to wake up. And we went out there, and one time in the field, we heard somebody humming, like a lady humming a tune. Yes. We were shining the flashlights out there and everything. There's nobody out there. And we were like, oh, man, that's kind of weird. And that wasn't really scary, so we left. And then, like, we came back again. And for the last few days, we had dared each other to go into the actual slaughterhouse by the house. There was a real big house, and then there was a slaughterhouse. It was like a, a shed with a square fence around the front of it. Right. And so the guys took their turns going in there, and then it was my turn to go in. And normally, the gate was open, and nobody had been there forever. The weeds were, like, four feet tall around everything. So you could tell nobody's been there for years or taking care of it. And the door was stuck open with the weeds. And when it was my turn that night to go, it was the next night, the door was shut. And I'm like, oh, that's just wonderful. <laughs> so I was already scared. So I'm like, all right, I can do this. So and I was trying to show off, you know, because I was the only chick there. So I, like, opened the door, and I just turned, and I go right into the shack part. I looked, there's just, like, a, um, an old mattress and some chicken coop wires. And I was like, oh, this isn't that bad. And then I'm sitting there, and I'm looking around in, like, where the fenced area is. And something, like, to the right of me, the door was on the, door was on the right the slaughterhouse door, and the other side was the left. And something from the left started running through the through the weeds, like, you know, like, you couldn't see anything, but it looked like there was something like four feet tall running through it. It went down this side, went to the corner, and it was, like, going towards the door on the other side of the gate. And I was looking at the door waiting for something to just jump out me, and I was oh <laughs> about God. to wet myself. And right before it got to the door, something right where it has first started running, yes. something smashed into the, the fence. It just goes, and it just shook it back and forth, and the 
whole fence moved, and I just dropped to my knees oh and started God. crying, and I screamed for my boyfriend, and the two chicken shit, excuse my language, guys, were in the car with the windows rolled up and the doors locked, <laughs> and I was screaming for him, and I was crying, I was so scared, because I like getting scared. And you had to go in yourself. Yes, well, because we all dare each other, and I went all the way in, and I was scared so bad. Oh, I, I can imagine this thing of shh. I mean, I was like, what the heck was that, you know? Yeah. And I, was, I didn't know what was going on, because you never expect anything to really happen. And so I was like, ah, oh, and I screamed for my boyfriend. He had to carry me out because I was so scared I couldn't even walk. What do, you, was, what do you think you saw? What do you think that was? What do you think I was? Well, I was thinking about it, and I don't know, because there was a guy that was bitching at us about, I'm sorry, my language. <laughs> I'm only 22. I can do that. Um, the, there was this guy across the street that never wanted us to go there, and he goes, no, this place is not for sale, and no, you can't go there. And the house looked like it had, it, had, it had covers all over the furniture in it and stuff. And there was another couple things that happened at that place, but I'm sure you're going to hurry to get me off the phone, so I won't tell you that. Um, <laughs> but no, you, you tell a good story. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> something that ran around it, I don't know what that was, but I was talking to some friends, and since it was a slaughterhouse and they slaughtered cows there, yes. it sounds like the cow sm- smashed into the, the gate and was trying to get out. You know what I mean? You know how something goes boom and it's... And it smashed into it and was shaking it back and forth. That's the only thing I can think of. Do you think... Maybe a cow trying to get out, you know? Do you think animals have souls? I, I didn't used to, but there's another... Can I tell you something else real quick? Real quick. I was quick. in my apartment one time, and I was sitting there. It was 8.30 at night, and I was reading a book. It was I mean, I was wide awake, okay? And my boyfriend's in the living room watching TV. And I looked down at the end of my bed, and something... I couldn't see it. Four little paw prints jump up on the bed like a kitten or a puppy, starts running towards me, and right when it got to my leg, it disappeared. I go, what the hell was that? Huh. <laughs> so I know that wasn't a person. It was obviously a little animal. Some so I'm animal. assuming that I guess they do. I mean, I don't know if they have souls. I really don't think they do. But oh. I can. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe animals are like that, too. They don't know if they're dead or not. Maybe they don't. that has nine lives. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the story. Yeah. Yeah, have a good night. Oh, I think they have souls. I do, and I know all the arguments that would suggest it can't be, isn't, and the Bible says it cannot be so, and so forth and so on, but sorry, I believe differently. I think animals do have souls. I've always thought that. And if you're a real animal person, whether you're a dog person or a cat person or, you know, kangaroo person, whatever it is you fancy, then you know that all animals have separate, distinct discernible, unmistakable personalities, real personalities. They have passion. They have love. They have dislikes. They have so many measurable things. They may not have speech, but that's okay. They don't have to talk to you most times for you to understand what it is they think or want or feel. And with so much, with emotions, with, with so many identifiable I- intelligence-like uh, traits, well, I think they have souls. I've always thought that, and I suppose I always will. But moreover, I think I have encountered the ghosts of animals. I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast AM. There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with
much point in fearing him, because when he comes for you, it's your time, right? Might as well go peaceably. Want to take a ride? Call Art Bell from west of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies at 1-800-825-5033. First-time callers may reach Art at area code 775-727-1222. Or call the wild card line at 775-727-1295. If you just tuned in, this is Ghost to Ghost. All we do is tell ghost stories all night long, a long tradition on this program. I don't even know how long, maybe well over a decade now. Real ghost stories. I will only take the very best ghost stories, so unless yours is a real hair razor, just don't bother. Sit at home and listen on the radio, and those with the stories that will bring us out of our seats or keep them in them. <laughs> Only those need call. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Good morning. Good morning to you, sir. Uh, where are you? What's your first name and where are you? My name is Steve and I'm from Union, Missouri. Okay, Steve. I just, uh, last June, my family and I, we moved into a house that we rented. It was an older house and uh, I guess we were there for about a week. And I was sitting in the living room one night, and the living room had a shot you could see to the kitchen door. And I was sitting there, and I looked up, and there was this smoky gray figure of a man. And he was standing there. Now, I'm never one that ever believed in ghosts. So I looked down, and I, I was telling myself, well, when I look up, this thing's going to be gone. So I looked back up, and the thing walks into the room. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It stands in the room um, for for a, a couple seconds, and then it just it just like dissipates and disappears. <laughs> um, so I don't want to be one of these people that run out of the house screaming in the middle of the night. Um, so I get my kids, and I'm, I'm trying to do this real calmly. And we get to the front door, and I'm closing the front door, and up from the house comes this horrible scream. It was oh. a male scream. Okay. Um, so we, we we left the house that night. Um, I had a business trip, so I was gone for about a week. And I came. We, when I came back, of course, I I had uh, talked myself out of it because I didn't believe in these things, and uh, was hoping maybe it was a first time incident, whatever. So we we went back into the house. Um, we had been there for a night, and it was one evening. Um, now, why would you go after a scream? Well, no, no offense here, but I mean the scream would have done it for me, and yet you went back in the house. I did go back. How did you well, reason that one out? With well, yourself? there was a lot of reasons. There were financial reasons were one. Yeah, I understand you know, those. Yeah, yeah you yeah. know, it's like you just sure. move. You, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you're hoping yeah. the best, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Okay. We went back in, and um, it didn't sound anything like this, did it? Listen. It wasn't that bad, was it? Oh, no. It, it was definitely a male scream, though. Um, okay. We went back in, and it was about the second evening there. Um, I, w- I was actually talking on the phone, and the door started rattling. I mean, actually rattling like somebody was rattling. I thought it was the kids playing, even though I, they had been sent to bed. Right. 
And I, I, I told him, you know, cut it out. And my daughter says to me, well, Dad, I'm not doing nothing. And my brothers are asleep. And about this time from the basement, the scream starts coming again. Um, and it got very, very cold. By the time I reached her, she was speechless, of course, and I, I got him out of there. You mean suddenly cold? Yes, very. It, it, was, it was definitely cold. <laughs> and by the time I got to her, she was speechless. I got him out of there, and um, we stayed there for just, well, that was the last night that we ever spent there. And it was about two weeks later we, we moved again. Um, never experienced anything like that before. With some financial loss, I'm sure. Yeah, there was some financial loss, but um, peace of mind <laughs> overruled that. <laughs> and, and living. Yeah. Definitely. All right, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, yikes. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. I mean, you say I wouldn't go back in, but there are a lot of times you move and you just barely make it into the new place. And, God, you wouldn't want to give it up because you were scared, would you? So, you know, I say, hey, take off. That's that. But in reality, in the real world... You'd probably go back into that house. Rather than having to move, you'd somehow rationalize it in your mind. You'd go back in. Once. Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Hello. Good evening, Mr. Bell and everybody else in Radio Land. Yes, sir. How are you doing this evening? All right. You know what I have to say? that This is kind of the lamest ghost of ghosts I've heard so far. Uh, I want to make a challenge to everybody out there to make it the best ghost of ghosts. Well, then then that can only happen one storyteller at a time. Okay. Well, I do my best, Mr. Bell. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Well, my story takes place in Flumfall, Manitoba, way up in the northern uh, part of Canada. Yes. And the story is that there's a lake called Phantom Lake just because it's shaped like a phantom. And it is told that there is an old house where a man used to bring his wife on camping trips. Now, this man was seen to be, was told to be psychotic. And what he did is that he chained, when he went on his hunting trips, he actually handcuffed his wife a bed. Now, on my gym class, we went across the lake, and we actually went by this house. And why, the, why did he handcuff his wife? I don't know, um, but it is but it is found in the Gazette that um, it is true. I've actually went up to the okay. library, and I have seen it. Yeah, okay. At any rate, I uh, passed by the house my, with, our, with our gym class canoe trip, and one summer evening, me and a buddy of mine, our young brave souls, went out to actually see this house. As we came up to the house, it just seemed to be abnormally cold out that night. As we walked into the house, we just creeped inside, and we saw the bed where the woman was laying there. Oh, sorry, wait. We saw the bed where supposedly the woman was chained up. Yes. We took a look. We saw the handcuff marks on this old mattress on this old metal frame bed. And all of a sudden, we heard a deep mumble, like a... <laughs> surrounded and I like to point out and all the windows were frosted up <laughs> at the time as we, as when I heard that that scared the bejeebers out of me I turned around and I saw help on the window where and I saw steam coming up you mean, help, you mean help written on the window yes uh -huh. and there's steam coming from it as I turned around me and my buddy saw this we saw a light orb come towards us, shoot back, and just just went right around the corner. Me and my buddy ran out, and we've just never been to that place again. Not bad, sir. All right, thank you very much. I have one question out there for the Laos people. 
um, there's, uh, it's told that there's supposed to be a dragon with a green orb. My girlfriend has shown me this picture of this, of a giant dragon with about four Navy soldiers holding it. I'd like to have information on that if anybody could tell me. All right, we'll see what we get. Uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Hello. Hello. Yeah, my name is Scott. I'm originally from Alabama, but now I live in Burlington, Vermont. Yes, sir. And uh, <clears throat> one of my closest friends is a guy named Eugene McCurry. We've known each other for 25 years, and several times he's told me this story. And you know how people will tell you something, and if you've known them for a long time, you know they're telling the truth. Of course. Okay, well, this is one of those situations where I'm, I'm convinced at least he believes that what he saw was the truth. Okay. <clears throat> he was born in 66, and I think he said this happened when he was about six years old. So this would have happened probably sometime around 1971, 72. Right. Uh, he had a real poor family. And at that time, they were doing a lot of farm work, like picking peas on people's farms, you sure, know? Sure, sure. And he was too young to work. And they, at the time, were living in this place in South Alabama, a little country place with the name of Nyota. And apparently, his family were out in the fields picking peas, and he was standing along the side of this field. And he saw what he claimed were the apparitions of two headless men dressed in black suits walking across the field directly at him. Headless men. Two headless men dressed in black suits, probably like undertakers is the picture I have in my mind, yeah. walking across this field straight toward him, just totally, you know, scared him out of his pants. Sure. And then they vanished. And he's told me this story on several occasions. You know what I would think if I saw that? I would think it was death coming for me. Oh, I tell you, you know, of, of all the apparitions, me personally, of all the apparitions that I could possibly see, Head, the headless. idea of somebody with with no head is just absolutely the most terrifying. That's yeah, headless, would... headless is definitely not good. Oh, yeah, well, you, you hear these stories about Anne Boleyn in the Tower of London walking around without her head, you know, it just gives me the creeps. Yeah. But, but that is, that's to me, that's a very that would, terrifying that story. Would have done it. Yeah, would have done it for me too, sir. Not, for the authenticity of that on several occasions. I wish he was here to, to verify it, but, but I, I swear to God I'm telling you the truth. I'm sure you are. Thank you very much. All right, yep. Headless. Uh, why would something appear to us? Why would a spirit appear to us in a headless form? I can only think of a few reasons. Either as a poltergeist uh, screwing around with us, trying to scare the hell out of us, which uh, it certainly would succeed. Or it could be, as I suggested, I might have guessed that death was coming for me. Two headless horsemen, right? Suits coming for you. And then what other possibilities exist out there? That there is some form of death where headless beings live? Well, I'll not think about that one. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi, my name's Robert. I'm from Temecula, California. Hi, Robert. Uh, originally, I was, I was born and raised in uh, Portland, Oregon, and I lived in a small city outside of Portland called Milwaukee. And when I was probably about six years old, my parents had rented this house out in Milwaukee. And for the first time that we came up to the house, we kind of knew that there was something odd about the house. My dad could feel it, and I could feel it, but just me and him were the only ones in my family that could feel it. Feel it. Sure. I 
an older brother and a younger sister. And we we were locked into a, a year lease on this place. We couldn't get out of that lease. So we were, we were pretty much stuck there for the year. And during that year, I saw I saw this thing, and to me it's, it was clearly, truly just pure evil. What kind of thing? It seemed like almost like a, 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 a demon to me. It wasn't, I never considered it a ghost, a shadow person, or an angel. It well, just, maybe it was not a ghost. It could have been evil. It could have been evil. So I mean, but can you describe with any better detail? Yeah, this thing used to hang out in my bedroom window at night, and he would sit there all night long watching me. How did you stand that? Well, I wasn't scared of it. At six, six years old, you pretty much got an open mind in certain things. Yeah, but six-year-olds can feel evil, too. Yeah, it, well, I knew it was evil. I knew it was bad, but I knew I was safe as long as I was in my room. And I knew that this thing would not enter the house unless it, it seemed like it had been invited into the house. Uh-huh. You know, but it was, it was out there. Waiting. Yeah, it was out there waiting. Maybe for an invitation. Yeah. I got you, sir. Thank you. Uh, there was an interesting, uh, somebody sent me an interesting fast blast from, uh, I think, the Chicago area. Yeah, here it is. Mandy in Chicago says, you know, can't call at work. I saw, this is tonight, I saw a burly man dressed as a lumberjack, flannel cap, suspenders at my window looking in seemingly tired and lost and then she adds I'm on the ninth floor of a high rise first time caller line you're on the air hi Art this is Nathan from Sacramento welcome thank you I, I've listened to, to your show for a long time and goes to ghost for a lot of years and, and finally Finally, I'm calling in with a story. Yes, here you are. Great. This this uh, happened to my family, gosh, about 15 years ago when my daughters were about four years old, and uh, my ex-wife and uh, and I sublet a house for the summer, and um, shortly after we uh, we moved in, we started uh, my my ex and I argued a great deal, and our daughters started having nightmares. And um, they would uh, would tell us that they both of them had the same same dreams on different different nights, and would tell us that they saw a red lady in their room. A red lady. Red lady. Uh, this woman that was all 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 dressed in red. Huh. And um, this went on for for gosh, the whole time we were there. And uh, shortly before we moved. We were talking to the neighbors, trying to figure out what was going on, because it was clear that there was something, something there, you know, some some energy in the house. Sure. And um, found out talking to the neighbors that the original um, owners of the house. This was not a real old house; it was about ten years old, probably. The original family, the um, wife, had committed suicide in the children's room. Had had cut her wrists. And that uh, when when one of the children came home from school that day, they found their mother in their bedroom covered in blood. Oof. And so we 
you know, made the, the connection that that was uh, some energy residual from that was what my daughters had been dreaming about that whole summer, and uh, we were we were happy to. Uh, well, I, out. I, I I assume that you're aware that um, people who investigate know about ghosts are almost universally agree that people who, for some reason, people who commit suicide tend to stick around uh, more than more than others at a much greater rate than others now i'm not exactly certain what that means and i've always tried to think what might that mean that that a suicide would be stuck here uh there's there's some sort of uh of course biblical i think uh, uh prohibition against taking your own life so it you know it may mean that uh, for a while you don't get to go where you're supposed to go otherwise there, it could be it could also be that that just the energy of such things are so intense and so horrible that they imprint themselves on the place for for years after. I think that I would rather believe that explanation uh, rather than thinking it is a soul stuck in some horrible, repetitive thing. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, suicides. Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, hello. Hello. Oh, hi. Hi. Uh, yes, sir, it's a pleasure to speak to you. Where, um, where are you, sir? Uh, my name is Mark, and I'm calling from Bradley, Illinois, and I'm listening to you through 890 AM WLS in Chicago. WLS, of course. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, my story goes back to uh, 1989 in the summer when I was 14. And uh, the house that my mom and I moved into uh, late November of 87 there in Pawpaw, Michigan, was uh, a 110-year-old house, and it was it was very... Uh, it, it was very, very spooky. It was across the street from a, from a cemetery. And, well, in, in the summer of 1989, I was watching the Bulls lose, and uh, I, I, I walked from uh, the living room to the, uh, to the uh, kitchen, and uh, the, the door to the upstairs was always kind of a scary place. And the damn thing, it, it, it opened by itself. The door and did as, as you were approaching the, 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 no, the, no, the door to the upstairs uh, area, which there have been rumors and newspaper articles through that area that that uh, the upstairs, uh, a baby had died in, it in the early 1900s, and there was a lady upstairs that died, and yes. it was really, really scary. And, and anyway, I the door opened by itself. And you, I, you, I, I saw, you saw the door with your own eyes open oh, by yeah. itself. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. So, like, come on it, in, bud, right? Oh yeah, and it was. L listen, uh, we're yes. at a. I've got to take a break here. Uh, yes. Can you stick around, finish your story? Yes, absolutely. All right, stay right there. It's a good place to leave it, where the door opens by itself. I've seen the movies. I know what that means. You go through, and you're a headless guy in a suit. From the high desert, this is Ghost to Ghost AM. I'm Art Bell. Whoa. 
Want to take a ride? Well, call Art Bell from west of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies at 1-800-825-5033. First-time callers may reach Art at 1-775-727-1222. The wild card line is open at 1-775-727-1295. And to reach Art on the toll-free international line, call your AT&T operator and have them dial 800-893-0900. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell on the Premier Radio Networks. We are under a Halloween full moon. Won't be another one like it. Uh, hasn't been once uh, like it since 1955, and you're not going to see another one for 19 years. And on top of everything else, this is Ghost to Ghost AM. Back into a Halloween night. And back, uh, back to you, caller. You're back on the air again. Ah, uh, yes. Um, so uh, there, at that point, I, I I looked I looked up to the uh, to the stairs, and uh, well, there there was a uh, there was a woman on a cross. Uh, on, on a, did you say on a cross? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was bad. It was really bad. It was so bad it. Um, I urinated in my pants, and I, uh, I, uh, I went into the bathroom and prayed, pretty much. So, uh. Yeah, it'd be about it, all you could do. Uh, well, I, I, you know, I, I was scared, but, you know, it, it. So, I make a long story short, the weird thing about the whole piece of property was, uh, you know, we were renting at the time. Uh, let's see, I, I, I get kicked out of my, this place. Because my mom and her boyfriend and stuff, and I, I left in '91 when I was 16, and uh, it took about uh, two years for the house to be sold by the landlord, and uh, the guy who moved in demolished the 110, 115-year-old house. He built a new one, and the weird thing is, is that he, he he got married or was already married, had a kid, a baby, who coincidentally lived in right around the same area upstairs. And during that time when he moved in, he tore down about, he, he ripped out about a hundred, fifty to a hundred trees that were pretty much kind of considered sacred. Uh, these were old trees, hundred, hundred and fifty years old. And right. it, it's almost as if, uh, you know, there were rumors, just all kinds of scary, scary rumors going around through, through the town. And the, the baby died of cancer, his wife died of cancer, and the last thing I heard was the guy just picked up and left. Wow. It was bad. It maybe was bad. he was trying, maybe all this time in tearing down the house, in building a new house, then in, in tearing down trees, he was trying to stop whatever it was. Had that occurred to you? I don't know. I, I, I don't know, but I, I know that, I mean, it was just downstairs. We had a cellar, and we'd hear strange things at night, and... Uh, at, maybe, one point, maybe I mean, at, at one point, when I, when I was seriously depressed as a teenager living there, I... I asked for a spirit to come down and, and try to help me, and I kid you not, Art, I, I heard footsteps at one point coming down the stairs, coming to help me. And then at that point, I thought it was the devil, and I I asked for it to go away. And it went away. Yeah. 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 I mean, at one point, I mean, I was so seriously depressed that I... I and it's going to sound bad. It's going to sound really bad, but it's the absolute truth. I asked the devil to help me, to... to Do you... Really do you, I, I, do you think the devil helped you? 
he was offering help. He something came walking down the stairs, and I, I absolutely prayed for it to go away. I, I just, uh, I, I, I see. So, 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 that what you asked for help was the devil, and when it uh, began to approach, when it started you, walking down the stairs, I, I got completely scared, uh-huh. completely scared, and I. That's called a foxhole conversion. Thank you very much. But I don't blame you. This is something I've never understood of people who make deals with the devil. Never have understood it, never will. If you conclude there is a devil, there is a dark, evil force with which you can bargain if you so desire. Once you have realized that such a force exists, then in your mind, how can you not realize that the opposite force exists, uh, thereby immediately understanding the magnitude of the decision you're about to make, the bad decision you're about to make, that will bear on eternity for you. And, and so once you realize the one, how can you not realize the other? East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Oh, hello. Hi. Art, hi. How are you? Uh, fine. Uh, what is your first name and where are you? Uh, Mike from Sarasota, Florida. Okay, Mike. Uh, this happened when I was about uh, five years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was kind of like uh, a nightmare the way you remember it, but it, it actually happened. And I was laying in my bed, and, um, you know, my parents were in the living room. And all of a sudden I felt this, like, the, you know, this presence like everybody talks about. And something like staring at me, and I looked out the uh, window from my bedroom. Yes. And there was a—you've been calling them shadow people. There was a, a shadow, you know, the head of a, a person. And this was like in '66. You know how they wore the—the the men would wear those hats and the long coats. It was wintertime. Yes. Um, that's that's what he was dressed in, and that's all you could make out. Uh, anyhow, I. I, I just laid there for I don't know how long, and I finally was able to just scream. And my parents came running in, and they were like, what's wrong? I was saying, you know, there's a man at the window, a man at the window. And my parents, you know, ran over, and like I said, it was wintertime. All the windows were frosted up, but my window was, there was no frost on it. Huh. And so they went to the front door, and across the, the way was a, a schoolyard. And they could see the, the figure of this man, like I described, going across the schoolyard. So my dad went out after him, and he'd gone around the corner. My dad was going to, you know, follow his footprints, and there weren't any. But what's really strange about it is, I mean, you know, that was pretty scary for me. Uh, but my wife is the one who wanted me to call because she found out we'd been married 10 years, and 10 years ago uh, my mother told my wife, which she'd never told me, a week before that had happened, uh, my parents... You know, tucked me into bed, and they came in like 20 minutes later to say goodnight. Yes. And I wasn't there. And they couldn't find me. And you weren't there? I wasn't in bed. So they thought maybe I'd gotten up to, you know, go downstairs and play or something. They looked all over for me. They couldn't find me. And like I said, this was a little bit before this had happened. Uh, You know, so it was winter. And they looked all around for like three hours. And you weren't there? No, until one in the morning. My father finally happened to look up. I was sitting on the roof of the house and you know there was no way I could get up on the roof you know there was no ladders around or anything I was just sitting there <laughs> what do you think happened to you I have no idea but I mean I have guess you it's... considered the possibility that you were abducted can I tell you know I, I thought you might say that 
because yeah. uh, my wife and I have listened to you for a few years. Yes. Then you and, know how I think. Well, uh, you know, the, the thing about streetlights, you yes. know, going out? Yes. Uh, to the point of, like, people that are with me for any length of time will will comment, like, you know, it's so strange when I'm with you. Yes, like, I've oh, heard well. this from so many people, sir, that streetlights uh, extinguish and or go on as you walk down the street. I'm familiar with the uh, phenomena. Some people will attempt uh, to explain it by explaining there are certain type of, uh, there's a certain kind of streetlight that does that, but I've never seen one. Never. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, my name's Patty. I'm calling from Northern California. Hi, Patty. Hi, and I listen to you on KDAC. All right. And um, my story's not really that scary. We've had some scary encounters, but it's kind of interesting. Um, Many years ago, I lived with a truck driver named Richard, and um, he was a real good stepdad to my kids, and especially my oldest son was really close to him. So um, even when we split up, we all stayed good friends. But uh, he had some problems, and uh, he took his own life. Oh. And uh, this was some time ago. But, um, oh, maybe about a year after that happened, uh, my kids and I were living at a isolated ranch in Colorado. And, right. uh, it was like an 800-acre ranch on the edge of a wilderness area. I mean, we were way out in the boonies. And um, we were 30 miles from the closest grocery store. And uh, one night, we were sleeping, but my oldest son was 15 at the time, and he was awake. And uh, he said, here's this truck, this diesel, come up our driveway. And he thought maybe it was a hay truck or something that had gotten lost looking for a ranch or something. Yeah, diesel is unmistakable. Yeah, you know, and he's thinking, well, you know, maybe it's a hay truck, whatever, you know. But and he said the guy gets out and starts knocking on the door. So he tried to wake me up, tried to wake up his sisters, tried to wake up his brother. Nobody would wake up. He said it was really eerie because normally I'm a light sleeper. But he said none of us would wake up. So he answered the door, and uh, it was Richard. Uh, and uh, you're came. you're sure. Oh, he's sure. He's sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was. He said he came in, shook his hand, uh, sat down and talked to him. And uh, Richard was a big Pepsi drinker. He loved the stuff. And he right. went out to the truck and got some Pepsis and brought them in. And, and my son said they sat there and talked for a couple hours and drank Pepsi. And Now, your son said that Richard was full form. I mean, right. Did, did I asked. I asked him, I said, well, what did it feel like when he shook your hand, you know? Right. And he said, just like if anybody else shook your hand, solid and real. That's very unusual. Normally, uh, spirits are unable to manifest that physically. Well, he actually came to another time after this. But on this occasion, the odd thing is in the morning, you know, he's telling us the story. And we're kind of going, uh, oh, yeah, all right, sure, you know. Right. And, uh, but we looked and there was, uh, Pepsi cans on the table. <laughs> and we said, this, this is, we were 30 miles from a store that was, even if there would have been one open, you know, at this time and night. Yep. Well, again, you know, there's something about those who take their own lives. I don't know what, uh, I just know there is something different, and by percentage, there are many more of them. Than, than of others, and I, I don't know what that means. Yeah, well, he really identifi identified with his job, too, so I wasn't surprised that he came in his truck, you know. Well, it's good to know there's diesels on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> Thank okay, you. Okay, good night. Good night. Take care. 
There, there just is something about those who take their own life. They're in for a bit of a different ride, I suspect. You're not supposed to do that. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Yes, ma'am, you're on the air. Hi. Hi. Uh, my name is Debbie. I'm from Eugene, Oregon. Yes, Deb. I'm originally from Portland. Okay. And uh, I've had several paranormal experiences, and every time there was that um, soul-gripping or spine-gripping cold that you can't explain. It's not an yeah, I know. I hear that from so many yeah, people. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. But my scariest story is when a ghost yelled at me. Yelled at you? Yes. And um, a friend of mine, an ex-roommate, who is a chiropractor, and his name happens to also be Art, invited me over to this um, 100-year-old house that he wanted me to see because he knows that I love antiques. And this house is in the Selwood District of Portland, where I'm originally from. And this house is really a weird house. It, the base of the house um, scooped out like a skirt. And huh. all of the archways in the house were in the shape of huge skeleton keyholes. It was really a weird house. Ooh, that is weird. It is. Yeah. And then I was looking around, and... His roommate was a woman who had children, and we saw the whole house, and her room was decorated in antique lace. It was absolutely beautiful. And there was one room that had nothing in it, and the whole house was decorated. And, and I said, why is this room empty? And he said the children were in it, but they didn't like it, so they moved out. Uh -huh. Later on, I came upstairs to use the restroom, which old houses have, and I walked into the room to see the stained glass windows. And halfway through the room... A ghost popped up in front of me. That was, looked like what? He was a large man. He was bald. He had a brown suit and a white shirt. And I knew he was a ghost because I could see the wall behind him. Oh. And he had no feet. I, I could see him, but I couldn't see his feet. He just stopped right at his ankles. And he immediately raised his finger and pointed to the door. And he said, get out of my house. Oh, my God, oh my really? Oh, my God. I swear this is a true story. I ran so fast that I tore the carpet runner off of the stairs when I went down the stairs. Wow. And I went down and told my friend about it, and he immediately wanted to meditate for the ghost to leave the house. Uh -huh. This is really true. And I wanted to leave, but he said, well, let's just sit down and say, you know, to meditate for the spirit to leave. So we did that, and then right above us where this room was where this ghost had been seen by me, I swear to you, we heard footsteps walking out of the room and coming down the stairs. And I was out of the house. We both ran out of the house. We both ran out. I so, would not so go much, back in the house. So much for meditation. <laughs> oh, I had to have him go back in and get my purse. I never went <laughs> again. Good for you. Next time, don't <laughs> let him talk you into the meditation thing. Yeah, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> Thank I'm you. Sorry. Take care. Oh, my. Yeah, when, when you get yelled at by a ghost, when it shakes its finger at you, get out of my house. You don't go down and meditate. You get out of the house. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, Art. How are you tonight? I'm okay. Where are you? Um, I'm in a little one-horse town called Central City, Nebraska. All right. Welcome. And I hear you from a, on a Omaha station. That's right. Yeah. Um, my dad and I drove tractor-trailer for 15 years together. He drove it many years before that and a few after that, but then I started getting involved having babies and everything, so I quit. Uh -huh. Well, it was during the mid-'70s, and uh, we were hauling pro produce from 
Homestead, Florida. We picked up avocados and um, limes, and we'd take it to the West Coast. Well, right. sometimes when we had to reload, we'd have to go all the way down the coast picking up partial loads right. to go back to Florida gotcha. or other places. But anyway, um, my dad, this one day, I hadn't been feeling very well, so um, he he took the whole day reloading, the, you know, going down from Northern California down towards uh, Indio there to finish off the load. Well, I got up, and it was my turn to drive, and he got us about, oh, not too far from the Arizona border, and it was beautiful night, clear, everything was just clear, but there wasn't a lot of traffic. And so um, I was feeling great. I mean, I'd been driving for quite a few years, four or five years, about three, maybe four, three to four or five years then, by then. And I, I, I always liked driving nights, and it was a beautiful night. There wasn't that much traffic. And um, I don't know if you know, but there's four lanes with a large median between it. Right. Going through Arizona there. Anyway, um, I was feeling good. Laid back, just going like mad, and um, I, I guess I'd been—I had my headphones on, and good music, and <laughs> going real well that night. And all of a sudden, I guess about two hours into the night, my dad was already in bed sleeping, and I saw about—oh, I don't know how to say judge this—but I saw way out in front of me a woman, what appeared to be a woman with long hair, in a white dress, a long white dress, in the middle of the highway. Well, she was actually standing on my lane, the, uh, the slow lane. Okay. And she was waving her arms, like, to stop me. Right. Well, I couldn't just slam on the brakes. So, you know, you don't do that with a big rig. No, you, you don't. You kill the guy in the back. <laughs> you throw him through the windshield if you do. So, I, by the time I got up there, I was just about level with where she should have been. I, I got it stopped, and I got out of the truck. I walked all the way around the truck, and I couldn't see anything. And um, when I got back in the truck, I thought, I scratched my head, you know. I thought, well, I'm not tired. There's nothing wrong. What's going on here? There's no gal. Well, then about, I, I, my dad said, what's going on? I said, nothing. Go back to sleep, Dad. I thought I saw something in the road. He says, well, are you tired? I said, no. He said, okay. He rolled over and went back to sleep. Well, I drove about four more hours. And the same thing happened again. I saw way out there, I saw this lady, small little woman with a long white dress on. Yes. And uh, waving her arms like mad. And then I haven't had things like this happen. So I thought, you know, what is going on? Anyway, by the time I got the truck stopped again, I should have just passed where she was at. I got got out of the truck, walked back around the truck, looked everywhere. Because it's pretty well lit out there. Um, there there's like lights you know, uh, along that stretch of highway. Sure. And um, there was nothing there, nothing anywhere. Uh, I got back in the truck, and my dad said, what's going on? I said, you know, Dad, maybe you ought to get up. (laughs) So he got up, and I told him what was going on, and he said, are you tired? I said, no, Dad, I'm not. I'm getting there, but I'm not tired yet. And he said, well, I feel pretty good. Why don't I take over? I said, well, okay, but I'm not going to go to bed. I'm going to sit up for a while. Okay, we don't have much time here. So he went on down the road, and about, uh, he hadn't been driving, but maybe an hour, hour and 40 minutes or something like that, came upon a crashed car in the middle of the median. Yes. A gal in a wedding dress broke her neck. The car was upside down. Oh, my God. That was scary. (laughs) That's your version of I see dead people. Yeah, well, I had never done it before. 
Yeah, that's your version of I See Dead People. There's a lot of stories, you know, about truck drivers and the road. And maybe that's because a lot of people die on the road. This is Ghost to Ghost AM. I'm Art Bell. Want to take a ride? Call Art Bell from west of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies, 1-800-825-5033. First-time callers may reach Art at 1-775-727-1222. The wild card line is open at 1-775-727-1295. And to call Art on the toll-free international line, call your AT&T operator and have them dial 800-893-0903. That's Gordon Lightfoot. I got to interview Gordon, and he's a, he's a haunting kind of guy in real life. He really is. His music uh, is absolutely incredible and reflective of the kind of person that he is. When you hear an interview with Gordon Lightfoot, it's kind of listening to this song. Anyway, we'll be right back. More Ghost to Ghost right around the corner. Once again, into a Halloween night, 2001. Hi there, what is your first name and where are you, please? Hello? Hi. Yes, hi. Hi there, this is Matt calling from Temecula, California. Yes, Matt. Um, a couple years ago, my wife and I were house-sitting for her parents. Now, mind you, this is the house that she grew up in. Sure. Um, and what was going on is it, it was late at night, maybe, I guess, about midnight. We were in the back office playing on the computer and the internet and all of a sudden we started to hear uh, what sounded kind of like a music box you know ding 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 oh yes and it's but it sounded like it was about a foot away from our faces <laughs> you know it, there's music boxes you know in the house not really in that room but around the house so we just kind of blew it off a few minutes later it happened again we decided okay this is kind of strange so we're just going to go out in the other room maybe watch some tv maybe go to bed well we got out there watching TV a few minutes, and ding, 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 right in front of our faces again. Again. About the same distance. This was just getting a little bit too weird. Um, there had been several other occasions in that house that uh, strange, unexplainable things were happening. But um, we decided, okay, this is too strange for tonight. We're going home. <laughs> you know, we, we got the, the, our baby at the time and uh, took her home. Next morning, we came back, and scared the heck out of us. What had happened was going upstairs, the door to the attic was kind of on the wall with a latch on it. Right. Well, the door wasn't there anymore. It was laying all over the stairs in about 100 pieces. Oh, my gosh. It had been kicked out or something. It had to have been from the inside by the way that all the wood was scattered all over the stairs. <sighs> have no clue what it was. The only thing we can imagine was it was the, the resident ghost in the house, and it was mad. Well, whatever it is or was, you wouldn't want it angry at you. Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> I, I understand. Yeah, once you've seen something kicked in from uh, from the inside, uh, <laughs> then you're going to realize that either it is now with you, or it has escaped, or it's laying for you. 
That would be easily enough for one night. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hello, Art. Hello. Jack, and I'm calling from Fairborn, Ohio. Yes, sir. And I have a story that uh, dates back to right around 1970 when uh, my family and I were living in uh, a town called Edison, New Jersey. Uh-huh. We had, uh, we had been living in an old farmhouse sitting on 12 acres of land. And I was 9 or 10 at the time, and my brother was 4 or 5, and we shared an upstairs bedroom. Um, this had to be 3, 4 in the morning. Um, I felt like I needed to use the bathroom. So I get up, put my little feet on the floor, and I start walking out to the hallway. Something didn't feel quite right. You know, I have that sinking feeling that something is just wrong. Sure. I go to the bathroom, finish up, come out, walk back in the hallway, and this black presence art. I mean, it was so black it stood out against the dark of night in the hallway. As a form? As a form. It was just an oval shape, indistinct, but dark. Not good. Cold. Not good. It slammed into me and said, don't go in. I heard this in my head. Don't go in. Don't go in. I was trying to go back into my room, and there's my brother laying there in the bed, being enveloped by this thing. Holy moly. Uh, anyway... And so what did you do? All the cats in the house started yelling, and we must have had six, seven cats. Yeah, cats know about these things. And three come from upstairs, and four come out of the uh, my parents' bedroom. You had a lot of cats. And they're screaming, yelling, the fur is flying, and they're in the room. They're with my brother on the bed, and they're beating the hell out of whatever this thing was on them. Yep, there you are. Um, he... After the after it was over, he says, "Jack, what was that? What was it?" He had ice crystals in his hair. Holy smokes! So he said, "I was trying to scream. I was did trying to scream, and nothing would come out. Not a thing." Did you after after, after sir? Before you went, after this being had stopped you, and you saw it at work on your brother with the cats around. Could you have gone forward at that point? No, I was frozen. Frozen, was, yeah. Oh, I understand I that, too. there, stuck to the spot. Yep. And so you went to your parents. I run to my parents' room. And there's something wrong with Dennis. There's something wrong with Dennis. Something's in there with him. Right. Immediately, my father wakes up, and he's a, a police officer in, in the town. He grabs his gun, and he runs into the room. And there's this thing is on the wall, and it slides through the window, not out the window. Huh through the window my dad grabs my brother and he says to my mom he's ice cold he's ice cold and i don't feel anything <sighs> takes him to the hospital the next morning he gets back and he tells me that your brother was was treated for hypothermia they're going to keep him overnight um holy smokes so <clears throat> i am never without cats my brother's never without cats um I swear by him. I mean, and I don't know what was shadow people or whatever it was, but that lingers in my mind, Art. I'm I'll bet that'll be there forever sleep, imprinted on I'll your brain. Well, I'll tell you that. I appreciate the call, sir. Thank you. Thanks, Art. Yikes. Icicles in his hair, treated for hypothermia. I don't know. What do you think happened to him? What do you think that was? What do you think could cause those kinds of physical manifestations? Probably nothing good. Wildcard line, you're on the air. Hello. 
Boy, Art, that story gave me hypothermia. Yeah. Uh, this is Austin in uh, Flagstaff. Yes, sir. Uh, this particular event I'm going to tell you about happened uh, in 1962. Uh, it was right after I graduated high school. It was the summer uh, after graduating. I was uh, I just bought my first car, which was a 1959 Renault Dauphine. I don't know if you remember those. We, we all remember our first car. Oh, yeah. Well, it was, it was about the size of a VW Beetle, except it wasn't quite as stable. But <laughs> being this wild-haired uh, 17-year-old, I, I drove this thing around town like it was a Porsche. Oh, yeah. It's, hey, it's a car, you know. Yeah, well, it was a lot of fun. One night, a buddy of mine and I were cruising around out in La Habra, California, uh, near where we lived. And uh, he said, oh, why don't we go out to Sleepy Hollow? And I, and I said, what, what the hell is Sleepy Hollow? He says, well, it's a, it's a place out in Brea. So the next thing I know, this is right around midnight. We're driving down Brea Canyon Boulevard. This is way, this is in the boonies in those days. It's probably all houses by now. Sure. But he, we, we're getting, we're going down the road a couple of miles. He says, "Here, that, that dirt road up ahead, turn off to the right." So we, I stop and I turn off onto this dirt road and we start going up into the hills. And there's just a few cabins there, and the road is so narrow that if another car had been coming down, there was, we, we would have no way to pass because it's very, very narrow and very rocky and it's just a dirt road and you can see everything that's there it's just a few houses scattered here and there and there's only one road in and that that's the only road out and finally we get up to the top of the hill and the, the road suddenly makes a jog to the left and we empty into this open rectangular area that's about 80 feet square and right there in front of my headlights is parked a 1939 cadillac hearse well, I can't even imagine how that Cadillac hearse would have even gotten into such a small passageway. Right. But the hearse wasn't even when I was thinking about it at that moment, because right there, dead centered in front of my headlights, is the, is the Phantom of the Opera. That's the only way I can describe it. If you remember what the Phantom of the Opera looked like in the old movies. Oh, sure. The sunken eyes, yes. the hollow cheeks, the yes. white, pale oh. complexion, and these hollow, these huge black pits for eyes are staring right into my headlights with what I can only describe as unflinching menace. Well, it took me about three-quarters of a second to turn that Renault Dauphine around in its tracks, yes. and I raced back down that dirt road until I got back to the pavement. Uh-huh. We jumped out of the car. I opened the pop, I popped the, the front hood. I grabbed my tire iron, and by this time, we're, we're, we're starting to recover a little bit from the initial shock, and I said, Let's go back and take another look. Oh, figured, no, that's that's where, all right. And I'm thinking, this has got to be a prank. This is somebody playing a gag. You know, this this can't yeah, be real. Okay, I might. I mean, I'm coming back to reality here. We turn the car around. We drive back up the dirt road very carefully, watching everything along the way, to, just in case we're going to run into this thing prematurely. Right. We get to the top of the hill. We make the left jog. We come into the opening, and there's nothing there. Nothing? Nothing. No Cadillac. There no. is the Cadillac is gone. Huh. The and and the and, and now mind you, this rectangle is completely encased on all four sides by trees and brush. It's very heavily brush, and there's only this one little little entrance in and out. So I pulled into the center of the area. We got out of the car. Yes. We looked around on the ground. I could see my Renault Dauphine tracks in the dirt where we had spun around. We walked over to where the, the hearse had been parked. No tracks. Nothing. <laughs> My friend walks over to me, and he looks me in the eye, and he says, Austin, I think maybe this is an omen about your driving. <laughs>
About your driving? Oh. About my driving. And I just laughed it off. We got back in the car. We started driving back down the dirt road. We got back onto, onto Brea Canyon Boulevard. We went about a mile, driving as I always normally did. We hit this particularly tricky turn, and the car flipped over three times. Wow. What a story. You swear that's true? I, I, I will send you signed affidavits from the people who were there, from the witnesses. My best friend, uh, Campbell Stark, was with me. I mean, it's, in fact, this is one of the stories that's going into a book I'm writing. That's a hell of a story. I, uh, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I appreciate your call, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Boy, I've got to think about that one a little bit. That's a pretty stark warning. Phantom of the Opera, right in front of you with a hearse. Yeah, you could take that one as a warning, couldn't you? One thing I forgot to ask. Wonder if his driving improved. East of the Rockies, you're on the well, he's still here. You're on the air. Hello. Hi, my name is Rosemary. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. Hi, Rosemary. How are you? Uh, um, I'm all right, although the stories are getting a little strange. Yeah, that last one was really good. <laughs> okay. My story kinda has a little bit a lot to it, so I'll start with this. Uh my mom and I used to go down to Branson and we found this lady that had two bed and breakfast. Right. And she had one in town on the strip, um, and then she had one out of town in Walnut Shade on the outskirts of Branson. And we stayed in that one a lot because it was um, nobody else would stay out there and it was private. So uh, okay. one, one uh, morning I wanted to sleep in, and my mom went into town, uh, and I had gotten up um, after she had left, and I was downstairs in the living room playing on the couch with my Barbie dolls, and uh, all of a sudden the fireplace doors started to open and close, open and close. And it was a little windy outside, but I mean these really opened and close. You mean, uh, what kind of fireplace doors? The type that, you know... Uh, the folding kind. The folding kind, opened yeah. and closed? Uh-huh. And this was a... I could imagine one or the other, depending on a draft, but yeah. not opening and closing. And that's what it did... And this was a really old, cool house. And I thought, well, shoot, you know, maybe it was a draft, but no. Uh, I said, if something is in this room, then move the handles on this. I had a shopping bag on the coffee table. Yeah. Then move the handles on this shopping bag. And all of a sudden, it moved the handles back and forth and back and forth. And I scrammed up those stairs to the top bedroom. <laughs> like you've never seen anybody run before. I sat up in that room. And I looked out the window over the driveway, and I thought, um, I knew exactly at 1 o'clock my mom would come back from in town. Uh, it, was, it wasn't 1 o'clock yet, and uh, there's a bathroom upstairs, and the toilet kept going off and on and off and on, and these doors between the rooms kept opening and shutting. Oh, my. I thought, well, maybe I'll run back downstairs. But I went out into the hall, and I looked into the stairwell, and there was something that looked like from Scooby-Doo and uh, Orbit, Orb-like glowing on the wall. I ran back into the bedroom, and I waited till 1 o'clock, and 1 o'clock on the dot, she pulled in that driveway. I ran down those stairs through that orb so fast. Through the orb? It was, like, right above me. I, it probably could have touched my head. I just didn't even care. I ran down those stairs, opened that door. I was crying, and she wouldn't believe me. <laughs> I understand. Now, but come to find out, 
that the house in town that this lady had in Branson, uh, there were many stories that uh, people had seen things in that house, but nothing had ever been seen out in the house. You, re you realize, uh, other than this audience perhaps, there are a lot of people who would say, what a, what a bunch of baloney. Oh. But, you, you know, once you've seen it yourself, you don't have any more questions. I mean, you don't doubt for one second, do you? No. I'll tell you something else, Art. That night, because we had another night in that house, um, Mom snored, so I had to sleep downstairs in the <laughs> downstairs bedroom, and I heard moaning behind the bed. And it sounded like uh -huh. a woman who would have, like, a bad stomachache. <sighs> moaning behind the bed. Yes. No. And, uh, you know, there's really nowhere to go when you're stuck out there in the middle of the night and you're... Trying to get through another night, so I just I wouldn't slept on the couch. <laughs> well, uh, how come your mom wouldn't believe you? I mean, uh, obviously, as you told this story, she must have understood that you were really terrified. But just figured you had a bad dream or what? I, she just said I had a wild imagination. I was alone and got scared. Yeah, how, that's what they always say. How kids do. Yeah, yeah. wild imagination. Go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the call. Thanks, Art. Thank you. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Please wait. Hello. Going once. Hello? Yes, hello. Hi. That was once and a half, and you made it. Uh, where Where are you, and who are you? My name is Arlene, and I'm from Washington. Arlene. Yeah. Hey, you're going to have to speak up good and loud for me, Arlene. You're not too strong. I know. You're in the state of, huh? Washington. Okay. Yeah. What happened to you? Well, I began living in a rental home and it was like the weirdest experience of my life there were like voices and sounds you know coming up from the basement and it was an unfinished basement just like the gloomiest one ever Arlene yeah you didn't end up going down there did you no I completely blocked it off I, mean, right. I right. sit on my couch listen we've, we've got a break uh, can you afford to hold on Sure. All right. Most uh, most go to the basement immediately. That's where the dismemberment usually takes place. To reach Art Bell in the Kingdom of Nye from west of the Rockies, dial 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies, 1-800-825-5033. First-time callers may reach Art at 1-775-727-1222 or use the wild card line at 1-775-727-1295. To reach Art on the toll-free international line, call your AT&T operator and have them dial 800-893-0903. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell on the Premier Radio Networks. There's been some stories this morning. It's, of course, on mornings just like this that these kinds of stories get generated, isn't it? Halloween. Some might say once in a blue moon. Ghost to Ghost. On a uh, very early Thursday morning, 
And uh, Arlene is back on the air. Arlene, go ahead. Okay. As I was um, saying before, I'd hear sounds from the basement and people whispering in there and they banging on the ceiling, I guess. And um, what was really strange was whenever I'd go to take a shower, I'd feel like um, hands touching me and nobody was in the house at all. Really? Yeah, and then um, there was... How old were you at the time? I was 22. Somewhat fetching, I presume. Uh, <laughs> you see, I, I've, I've always wondered what life would be like as a ghost. And surely what occurred to you would be one considered diversion. I don't know. It was, it was just really weird. Um, there was like an, a loft going up the stairs, and every night I'd hear some, someone or something stomping up the stairs and going into these little loft rooms. And I don't... Uh, how? Explain to me something. Hmm. How could you be in the shower and feel invisible hands touching you? I don't know. It was like my hand and, 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 was and, touching but, me. But in stay, and stay in that house. Well, I didn't stay long. <laughs> I had a lease and I had to fulfill it, but... As as I understand. As long well, as that was up, I was gone. Yeah, that's that's real life. I mean, people have financial obligations, and I always forget about that part. And and they have to do what they have to do. Really strange. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Take care. <sighs> Hands on you in the shower. In a way, uh, if it's, you know, what we think it is, then it gives some hope about the other side. Now, that, that might not be the, uh, the thing that you would uh, do should you become a ghost, or if you're out there and a guy and understand, it might be. Something to think about. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, this is Mary calling from Salem, Oregon. Hi, Mary. Um, I, this story is kind of about my brother-in-law, Don. Okay. And we were having a birthday party, and um, it was kind of a premonition kind of thing. Um, I I decided to go out for burgers with a friend, and I had to wait because somebody had to move their car. And while I was out in front, we were living in the country by myself, I looked over, and there was this woman in like a, a 1800s shirtwaist and long skirt, but I couldn't see I couldn't see past her. I couldn't see her feet. You couldn't see her feet. Uh, you, but you should have been able to see her feet. Yeah, it was there. I should have seen her. No feet is bad. Not as bad as no heads, but it's bad. <laughs> it was scary. So I, I looked. I closed my eyes and I looked back, and she was gone. And my friend came out then, and I told him all about it, and he was like, "Oh wow!" But we left, and we we went for burgers, and while we were gone. Um, something really horrible happened. My my brother-in-law had gone. They decided to go off in the woods, and while they were going down the trail, this boulder just out of nowhere came and, like, took its head off. Oh, my God. And so on the, we got back, and here's the helicopter landing, life flight, and the, and the um, ambulance is down, and they're performing CPR on him and everything. Well, now, wait a minute. You said took his head off. Yeah. 
Or, well, the top of his head, they were, they were trying oh, anyway. He died. Okay, I get the picture. He, he died. died. He, did, he didn't make it. No. Um, but what was weird was it turned out, uh, like six months later, a person that we knew came to us and kind of apologized. And she said that a couple of days before, my brother-in-law, as being a Wiccan, was out in the forest doing some sort of ceremony with a couple of his friends. And she didn't know what was going on, so she just like came up and la 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 and put her cigarette out in the middle of their circle, and they got really upset. And all of a sudden, this this like horrible dog kind of growling, kind of monster sounding thing came from the top of the hill, and they they said, "Get out of the circle! Get out of the circle!" and tried to fix whatever it was, but they couldn't do it. So aye, aye, aye. he was he was worried, and he wouldn't tell me why he was worried for you know like two days before the party, and um, and so some people think you know some of us think that whatever it was came and got him, but uh, yeah, gave great he gave great offense. Yeah, <laughs> uh, desecrated the circle. Bad news. Oh, bad news all the way around. Thank you for the call. You're welcome. Take care. Yeah, well, if you are going to open doors, you should be prepared to see what's on the other side. Wildcard line, you're on the air. Uh, hello, Art. Hello, sir. Yeah, this is Roger. I'm calling from Kailua, Hawaii. Welcome. I listen to you quite often on KHVH. Yes, sir. And uh, I wanted to tell you something happened to me. Uh, I got my left leg broken. I was I decided to go fishing one day on my uh, day off. It was at the place we call the Marine Corps Air Station, Kaneohe. Right. It's on the east coast of Oahu, Hawaii, and I was authorized to go in some areas where some people aren't. So what they have, they have a large volcano, extinct volcano on the base. In the center of it is the, the Marine Corps rifle range. Well, I was on the left-hand side, or the western side of the range, uh, on the ocean side, and I had walked about a mile and a half from any... Uh, Living quarters, you know, uh, there wasn't any, wasn't anybody around me at all that, you know, that could see me. Right. And a, uh, there was a 35 year old man and his 8 year old son followed me. They, they carried the lunch bag. I had my fishing pole, you know, bucket, stuff like that. And they were about 150 feet behind me and, well, about 15 feet up on a ridge. And they were just watching me and enjoying the scenery. And I got to this one area, I just decided to stop. I believe it, they used to uh, bury the Hawaiian kings and stuff around there. That's right. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm used to going out there, and I was really enjoying the scenery. I almost forgot about going fishing. And I was on this large, flat, black area about, it's, it's uh, what do you call lava rock? Right. It was flat, maybe 30 feet deep. I mean, you know, the width of it, and 150 feet long. And there was no green wet moss or anything. It was just as dry as it could be. You could do jumping jacks or anything and never slip. <laughs> so I'm standing out there, really enjoying the scenery. And uh, all of a sudden, whack! My left leg goes flying up in the air. Uh, I'm standing up now and uh, just thinking about it. Because <laughs> it went above my eyesight, you know. Right. And I had this instant shock and pain. But my arms, you know, I spread my right arm out to the right, my left arm out to the left to hold my balance, and I gently went, fell down to the ground, you know, uh, using my right leg for balance. Meanwhile, my left leg is above my uh, my head, and boom, I hit the ground. So this man, the 35-year-old man, he comes running down the hill with his son over there and everything. He says, are you okay? Are you okay? 
And, you know, it took him about, oh, maybe two minutes to get to me. And uh, I says, yeah, I'm fine. I says, I don't know what happened. <laughs> he says, well, that was really a neat kung fu kick. I says, you do that often? I says, uh-huh. I says no. Uh, he says, are you okay? You know, because I'd landed on my butt. And he says, wow, look at your leg. The back of your calf has a big footprint on it. Wow. And it was black. So anyway, and then my ankle started swelling up, and uh, there wasn't any, uh, well, we took a piece of driftwood or something, and he tied it up on my leg, and, and we had to walk a mile and a half back to my car. Well, it gets better because he what? took me to the uh, Marine Corps uh, uh, hospital there at the base, and I spent about two hours in there. They put a, a full cast on my left leg, but I had to explain <laughs> what to the doctor what happened, and right. it was a... a Navy ensign and uh, two corpsmen. So they write it in the logbook, and then they type it up in their computer system, and they give me a printout. He says, I can't put this stuff in your log. <laughs> well, he did. He says, uh, you know what? I can't really leave this cast on you. It's an experimental cast. And he starts giving me this story. He says, I have to send you over to uh, Tripler Army Hospital, which is about 16 miles away. I know where it is. And... Um, then it gets, okay, that was the 2.30 when my leg got broken. So this is now about 5.30 at night. They put me in an ambulance, send me over to Tripler, and I'm in there with a, a couple of Army sergeants and uh, an Army captain, and then the full bird colonel comes in, who would never come in. You know, like it was such a little thing as a broken leg, and he just asked everybody to please step aside, and he took complete charge of my leg. And he started to ask me all kinds of questions. So that was the five, oh, about 5.45, continued questioning me. And he says, well, you know what? We have to take this cast off because uh, it's an experimental one. What? He, so, oh, yes, sir. Yeah, he, he took the uh, whole cast off. Again? He took a long, he, yeah, he took this, uh, one of these power tools, you know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> cast kind of cast and, uh, on, cast he off. He continually kept on asking me all these questions. And then he starts out, he says, well, you know, what do you do for a living and all this stuff, you know, and, and, and what is some of your history? Not the things that a normal doctor would ask you, you know. All right. So I just have enough and hold up. I go back all the way back to when I'm a private all the way up to master sergeant. And uh, he's looking at me, kept looking at me. It got to be around 9 o'clock at night, so that's four hours of intensive <laughs> and every, every and word. By I, now your leg is ready to fall off. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, I'm laying on my stomach. And he goes in, and they're all taking pictures of it and everything. It was like a, the bruise by that time was nice and black and blue, and just the same shape as a, like somebody had hit it with a bare foot. Right. He says, okay, time to put them back together. So they come along with this cast, and I can remember right now when he put it on, you know, how the, this material just gets red hot as it's uh, solidifying on your leg. And it was the exact same material that they put on a Kaneohe. I says, wait a minute, you told me this was an experimental cast. I says, well, that was just to get you over here. We had to double-check everything. Uh, and I, oh, I, I don't know what it was that hit my leg, what it was that kicked me, <laughs> anything else. Uh, Sounded like they wondered what it was. Well, they were really wondering. And, you know, it's, to this day, I have no idea. But there was a, it was a clean break. My leg was broken in half. You don't my knee. broken in half. You don't. Uh, I appreciate the call. You don't hear about that very often. A severe physical manifestation from an encounter. You 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 don't hear about that very often. A clean broken leg. 
by an unseen foot. <laughs> East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Art. Um, happy Hallow's Eve. Uh, and to you as well. I am Brian. Yes, Brian. Um, I'm calling from Jacksonville, Florida. I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. Um, and I'd like to say hi to Ramona. Happy Halloween. Um, first time caller, long time listener, or I say first time caller, first time I've gotten through. Tried many a times. Never, and I feel blessed that I got through tonight. Yes, sir. Um, I have two real quick ghost stories, and I'll tie them together at the end real quick. Um, when I was a young child, we had a, an abandoned house. It was in my neighborhood. And as young kids do, we used to go and explore. There was a shed, um, two-story garage attached to the house. And me and a young girlfriend at about the age of 11 rode our bikes about a mile down the road to get to the house. And we went up into the garage and was searching around. It was pretty much empty. There was a closet upstairs. And on the floor in the shed upstairs was some old, old, old newspapers. She picks up a newspaper and starts reading an article about how this man had taken a pitchfork and killed his entire family. Uh. As she's reading through this article, the door in this little closet upstairs uh. falls open, uh. being pushed open by a pitchfork. Oh. We lost it. Oh, oh, we, were, yeah. we were out of there. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, uh, you know, move so fast. Pitchforks, we've all seen the movies. We know right, where they end up. Right. They, they end up in your chest. But I mean, giving you enough time to look down and see that you have been stabbed by a pitchfork and you are now dying. Right. I, yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, and it was just, it was amazing because, I mean, this entire place was basically cleaned out other than these newspapers on the floor. And, I mean, what are the odds of a pitchfork being in the closet when you're reading this story? Slim and none. Slim to none, exactly. Yeah. Um, the other story is my grandfather passed away. I grew up in a restaurant, opened in 1945, a family restaurant, lots of beans and chicken. Um, about two months after he passed away, I mean, my father were running the restaurant. I was in the restaurant working. I'm standing up at a butcher block table, carving some beef, cutting a knuckle out of the side of beef. And out of the corner of my eye, I see my grandfather on his tippy toes, as he loved to be at the restaurant, peeking in a pot was on the stove cooking boiling potatoes. Yes. Um, I looked. I seen him. I looked away. At that time, it hit me like, whoa, no. I looked back, and he's gone, of course. Um, <laughs> but the way I tie these two stories together is that just seeing what I have seen of, there's been many other incidents where I've seen ghosts and different things happen. Um, tying it all together has given me a great peace in knowing that there is some sort of afterlife. There is some sort of spiritual life. That does seem to be the net effect of uh, having seen these things. It kind of ties things together for you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Buzz for the Rockies, you're on the air. We don't have a lot of time. Hi. Hi. Good morning, Art. Good morning. Jeremy from Vancouver. Uh, Vancouver, yes. Hi. Hi. <laughs> this happened to a friend of mine in 1987 in Victoria. All right. You see? Um, she had moved into one of those beautiful old Victorian mansions there. And you know how the houses are divided up into suites? Everyone I do. Has their own suite. Sure. She had this wonderful clawfoot bathtub, which I had visited her. It was lovely. So she phoned me a few months later and said that um, you know, she takes a, a nice bubble bath every couple nights or so. <laughs> that she heard the girl next door. I guess the bathtubs are right up against each other in these kind of things. Right. And, um, they, do that, of, they do that for yeah. the con uh, convenience of plumbing. 
Yeah, and, you know, the walls are thin. Sure. She heard her crying in there, um, sobbing about something. You know, maybe she thought she had broken up with her boyfriend or something. Never right. really thought anything of it. Right. Well, she has a bath every couple of days or so, and every time, you know, she'd have a bath, she'd hear her crying in there. And this went on for about three, four nights. Um, when she started to take her baths, it'd get really cold in the room. Yes. And this was like four days went on, and a really bad smell started to come from the other side. And smell got worse and worse. So oh, boy. She called the caretaker, and uh, the police got into the suite. Um, unfortunately, the girl had killed herself. She had slit her wrists and huh. in the bathtub. Right. But this really spooky thing about it was she had done it two weeks previously. She oh, my God. Oh, my, 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 my. And this is a true story. I don't know if anyone in Victoria is listening tonight. So Ease to the Rockies, call toll-free 1-800-825-5033. And Heather didn't last too long in that apartment. She moved shortly after that. But true story. I, uh, I removed the expletive, but I understand its use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... Holy mackerel! Yeah. Uh, thank it's you. Disturbing. Thank you very much for okay. the, uh, the the call. And uh, that that expletive probably should have remained in because it was contextual. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> to hear the moaning, perhaps a plea for the body to be discovered, and to uh, to hear that. After the person had been dead for that long, I don't know. Well, you have now experienced ghost to ghost AM. Maybe you're an inch or two farther along the way. You know, and understanding that there really is something on the other side, because there is. If you have not personally experienced it, then if you only believe a small portion of what you've heard tonight, that, that should be enough. Anyway, that's how we do it. I'm Art Bell. Riders on the storm. Riders on the storm. Into this house we're born.